This dragon can't fly, because one wing is broken. Oh, okay. But so, uh, but it's still eating those gnomes. Uh, you know what? You don't have to have wings to monge some gnomes. <laughs> no, you don't. You don't. You, you don't. Th- you know, the, the ceramic or otherwise, yeah, you are yeah. still a terror. You're a dragon. You're going to outrun them anyway. Yes. Yes. And tell them about your uh, your old ceramic dragon obsession from the, the, the early 90s. No. No? Absolutely not. Holy not gonna, shit. Not tell what? that story? Dude. I, 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 I was a nerd in my 20s. Aww. No, this is before that. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. This is about the nerd in the 80s? When we went to Excalibur, like right after it had opened, and okay. we were in the gift shop, and you were like, oh, my God, I got to get out of here because I have an obsession with ceramic dragons. Okay, look. when And that was, yeah. When wow. you go to like the swap meet, and then there's that one seller in every swap meet that has like the plastic skeleton statues, the, the one in front of the computer, yeah. and you know, all the the two dancing, and and then they have that whole line of wizards and dragons. Yep, uh, that that was my go-to, and mm. and then Excalibur opened. Now Excalibur, when it opened in Vegas, is not like. It is now. No. That's, what? Yeah. Now it's it's just like welcome to low rent Vegas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but Excalibur in the day, it was a massive, beautiful thing. Yes. For everyone, all ages. In the basement, you had all the games. Yeah. And the, uh, the kids in the basement. Thing. Just kids, kids in the basement. Where you want them is, is exactly what they had. It was uh, it was video games and your midway style games. Yep. The whole the whole lot. Right. It's could... still there. Just yeah. nobody goes. Well, it's also stripped way down from what it was. Sure. It's not nearly as... But, but you know what? Overall, though, the, the yeah. basement of Excalibur is intact. Okay. Because, you know, the games are there, that the joust is still there. It's mm-hmm. all still there. But it's the second level ab- the, above the casino. You know, the, the ground floor casino and the second level, that's where the restaurants were and where all the shops were. Yep. Mm. The shops aren't so great anymore. But when they opened mm. up, they were pretty snazzy. Yep. And they had, and they still have those gigantic purple dragons too. They keep moving them, but they're they're oh. somewhere there. Well, hey, purple dragons. Right. But what it's really missing is that gigantic animatronic dragon. Yeah. that used to come out on the mm. hour every hour, breathe fire. Because when you used to, when it first opened, uh, the entranceway that's right off of Las Vegas Boulevard and uh, Tropicana, where you would walk in. There's a ramp that basically goes up into the casino. But for the adventurous, there were two little side paths that went to either side of that ramp into the casino that would take you down to an area where they actually had an actor in a wizard costume that would try to lure this dragon out. And they had an animatronic dragon mm-hmm. that would come out in the little pond area. Yep. You don't know what I'm talking about? I know about... Okay, let's bring everybody you need to Welcome, folks, to Geek Shock number 615. I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Commander K. And we're here to talk Week and Geek, and we're continuing up to, about the Excalibur here. It's on YouTube. you got to find a, the video of it. It's crazy. The live actor, I yep. don't remember. The yeah. animatronic wizard, I yeah. remember. Well, there's the animatronic wizard that kind of sits above the no. hotel. No. Not that one? No. This okay. animatronic wizard. Okay. Let me lay out what the show sure. was. <laughs> Go ahead. <Okay. laughs> All right. So 
And there's still remnants there. If you are looking over the moat area to the right, you can see the wizard hut. Right. And you can still see the track that the dragon would come out from under the bridge. So every hour in the hour, this large, very large dragon would come out, glowing eyes, breathing fire out from under the bridge. And then all of a sudden, you would hear Merlin go, what's all that racket out there? And the door would open up to the wizard's hut and an animatronic Merlin would move forward and shoot some uh, Roman candles out of its wands and the dragon would go back under the bridge and then come on in to Excalibur and give you the whole thing. It's it's back in the 90s in the yeah, days yeah. of... Family friendly. Yes. yes. Back, back when Kirsten was a cowardly lion. Yes. Yes. So... And again, there's remnants there. You can see what's left. Although I'm, 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 I'm curious about this whole actor thing. Yeah, um, you have to find it. It's on YouTube. Um, I think this is the video that I'm looking at. But obviously, that's not something the audience can participate in. So I'll Indeed. just describe what I've seen it before. Um, you have your big live show, like you're talking about, with the the fireworks and everything. Yeah. But then they also had an actor down there in a wizard's costume, and he was like feeding the dragon, and ah. dragon would come out like the. I think I think it might have just been the head. I'm trying to remember because it's been a while since I watched. The and video, this isn't just like a promotional thing that they created. I don't know. I just I I vaguely remembered it. I remembered more about it when I saw the video um, on YouTube. But uh, but yeah, they actually had a a person in the costume, and you know, trying to get the dragon to come out, and the kids were. Look, and he's like, here, let me lift you. And they'd lift the kids up to show them the, you know. And then the dragon would eat them. No, no, Kids would end up in the basement. There you go. Yeah. Uh, But, yeah. We saw how that ended. Yep. So, yeah, it's it's out there. It's out there if anybody wants to look it up. I want to go to Excalibur. Go down the stairs into the basement and see that one kid standing in the corner, facing the corner. (laughs) They place the bodies in the machines. (laughs) It's amazing how much they change the casinos out here too, because oh, like, yeah. like all the, like I remember everybody telling me about the uh, the little boat tour at the Luxor. <laughs> yeah, I, I never that. saw the boat tour. It didn't. Miss I much. never got to do it. I did it, so I didn't know what that was all about. Although they did keep the little animatronic camels around for a while, and they were just sitting there in uh, various states of disrepair where they would yeah. talk to each other or they would talk to you. But one mouth would be askew yep. and yep. the other one would twitch a lot. Yep. They pooped. Camel poop. Animatronic camel poop. Yeah. yeah. Chocolate. Chocolate ice cream. Right. Great. It's oh, Vegas. Whole, Family whole, friendly. You know, it was amazing because I didn't understand it at the time, but there was something prophetic about the, the tour because you'd go through and they would sit there and tell you these hieroglyphs actually spell out, you know, and one of them, I, I, I didn't even realize it until decades later. She was like, this one says Epstein didn't kill himself. And uh. I was just, wow, that's amazing. You know what? The Egyptians were prophets. They knew it. Yeah. They knew shit. Yeah. Even, even now. Yeah. You think that beam goes out from the Luxor. No, it comes in. There you yeah. go. That's, <laughs> that's celestial. That's about as profound as, as it gets, dude. Dude, remember when... You know, the good old days, you'd have those low-hanging clouds and the green from the MGM oh, would yes. just like... Yep. That that corner, that intersection of LVB and TROP, which like had more hotel rooms than the city of San Diego. Yep. Just insane. 
and it would just it just take on this green yes. this green diffuse it was just and then you had magical. you'd have the castle there there was there was some fun stuff about it and then you had the 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 Mandelbrot lion oh jeez <laughs> yeah the one that looks like it came out of Freaking lawnmower man, yeah. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. How Vegas has changed. And they had to change that because uh, uh, was it is it Chinese? Yeah. They, something they... about walking into the mouth of an animal, even though the design of the lion, you were actually walking underneath, underneath. it. The mouth was closed, and you're walking underneath yeah. between the front two paws. Too many. Uh, I believe it was Chinese guests looked at it wow. and thought they were walking into the mouth of the lion, and so they that that that, that was close that, that whole was thing because it's funny. I, I, I guess you could say it's to be expected, but at MGM nobody ever said that. It was yeah. just part of the whole. And I've never because, gotten any confirmation on yeah, that exactly. story. Either. I never have. And from what I've heard, Chinese people were like, "Man, yeah, it's <laughs> like you know, it's, it's so, a, so it's, this is a, a Vegas myth." Well, I think so. I think so. Probably. I think it is a Vegas myth. Okay. But, but I think but, they just wanted to reutilize that space well, because uh, there's no entrance that there. That was now. that was where the uh, Emerald City was, and the little balloon show with the, the and wizard, I, and they killed all that to put in Hakkasan. Yeah. I never got to see the any of the animatronic uh, Wizard yeah, of Oz I, show. I went. To, it was funny. I, as a person, I think I've said this years before. Also, I, as a person, went through like the little uh, the little forest thing and everything. They didn't let us as the Oz characters go there because we made the animatronics look shitty. <laughs> <laughs> so we were not allowed. And it was so funny because, dude, they had that lovely that lovely little Emerald City, and we did campaign actually to take pictures, you know, because we did our pictures for the guests. We campaigned to do our pictures on that yellow brick road that they had leading to the Emerald City, and they would not let us near the Emerald City. We did it a couple times for promotional stuff, but otherwise we weren't allowed anywhere near it. So where did they keep you then? Where did they put you? (sighs) They they put you in the game machines, right, with the bodies? Very close. We were actually in the the corridor leading to the Grand Garden Arena theme and the theme parks. Ah, okay. So that area now, which is just a, a metric ton of shops and restaurants and stuff, that's where we were. And they literally just stanchioned off because they used to have those those uh, those uh, stone benches in the middle of the corridor, you know, where people could sit down. They stanchioned off one of those and uh, and set us up there for pictures and, you know, because everything has to make money. They, they love the yeah. idea of having us, but it's like we had to generate revenue. So they had to concoct that picture thing and everything. And it was like. Jesus, yeah. just just have us wander around and say hi to people. Oh, no, we got to make money. Yeah, every, yeah, that that's was, only got worse over time. Yeah, yeah, every square foot has to be generating revenue, yeah. or it's considered. They don't consider it just not making money. They consider it losing money if yes. it's not generating money, yes. which it's not. It's just right. It's so stupid. It's, it's, not, it's just yeah. it's such a negative way of thinking. Yep. Thank you, Siegfried and Roy. <laughs> <laughs> They were actually, I say that non-Vegas people, because they were the first show that was actually revenue generating and, and, and financed itself. Yeah. They were the first big Vegas show that was not a lost leader. And that's when it all changed. Yeah. That's when, uh, when Wall Street went, oh. Yeah, all the corporations go, wait a minute. 
we can actually make money off of the shows. I can have profit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, so wait, so wait, we can make money off of the gambling and the shows instead and, and, of, and, instead of giving the shows for free. So they'll gamble more. And eventually the buffets. Yep. We can we can profit off the buffets. Oh motherfucker! And yeah. now it's nickel and dime everything. Oh, oh yeah, my everything. god! Like, yeah, everything. Welcome to New Vegas. And it's worse than the old. It keeps cycling over because you yeah. said nickel and dime, and that's what a lot of people are complaining about because mm. because you, of two thousand eight um, and the pandemic, they 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 have dropped rates. They have dropped. They've given out discounts and deals, and it's brought people in, but they're not spending. It's funny yeah. our people numbers. Are great. I think we're actually, and some people say we're actually at like don't let them, pandemic don't, levels. Yeah, don't let them fool you. They're actually making record profits yeah. mm-hmm. right now. But they're, so. they're, they're also they're 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 doing it off of little things. Yes, they're doing it off of little uh, nickel and dime things because big spending people, you know, are yeah. just. I remember when, yeah, when the, like we were talking about the buffets. Like the average buffet out here now is about. 60 to 70 dollars a person yeah when i first moved out here you could get a really good quality buffet for about 10 to 15 dollars a person yeah and uh it ain't yeah. budget vegas anymore no. well, well when golden corral came out here this yeah. is a franchise chain buffet ladies and gentlemen and when it came out here to Vegas, I was like, "What the fuck is this doing in Vegas?" And friends of mine were like, "Well, oh, it's a cheap buffet." And yeah. I was like, "We, we can actually afford this." Holy shit, you were totally right. I have family members that absolutely go love Golden Corral, and when I go home to visit and they want to take me there, I'm like, <laughs> "I'll pay for dinner if we can go somewhere yeah, nice." Definitely. Red I mean, Lobster, Red Lobster. I mean, well, Red Lobster is a step up from uh, it, exactly. But, I mean, exactly. You know, but it's considered a nice place. Now, <laughs> now, home. hey, mind you, mind you, some of the you know, uh, Bacchanal, you're paying a oh, yeah. fist load of cash. Oh yeah, but holy shit balls! You're getting yeah. some for it. You're getting a lot. It's it's so, high quality food, and yes. it, it's a lot of it, and a lot of different mm-hmm. uh, cuisines mm-hmm. to choose from. Yeah, but so. yeah, um, it's it's. I think on a cheap day, it's fifty dollars a person. Yeah. On a normal day, it's around seventy to eighty dollars a yes. person. Yes, it is. So. Uh, speaking of good things in Vegas, this show is sponsored by Alternate Reality Comics at 5300 Southeastern Avenue. So if you need comics, go see Ralph because, goddamn, there isn't a better shop in town. Amen. R- Ralph is the man. He will give you the comics. The guy is psychic. He just he peers into your soul and pulls out that four-paneled goodness that you yourself are going to like. Yeah personalized comic that's, that's absolutely right. and right down the road go to war room games if you know the game thing 2510 east sunset road uh they just had their auction this weekend mm. and i went i was able to go for a little bit couldn't stay along because i had to work that day sucks but you know that's the way it is uh, but they'll have another one in february and we'll keep you informed when that one comes back out but uh, i didn't you know what i didn't spend much yeah. I, I spent 10 bucks yeah at this auction. Normally I spent a lot, but there was a lot of board games this time. Uh, it was all miniatures. If you wanted cheap Warhammer, this was where uh, you wanted to go. So lots and lots of Warhammer to be had. Oh geez. Cheap? Matt Matt would have loved oh, it. Oh poor Matt. Yeah. Wow. Oh, well. And it's funny, we're saying this like he's gonna listen to this episode. Right, 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 right. But I got uh Kingdom Keepers, which mm. is a uh Builder. 
Kingdom Builder? Yeah, thank you. Kingdom Builder, which is a classic, fantastic board game. Got it right. for five bucks. Ooh. And add on to, uh, is it called Geek Fight? What's the card game that we have? Uh, I think it is Geek Fights, isn't it? That sounds right. But I it's so. uh, the history add-on uh, card deck, so we can expand our... Our, our geeks. Everything. Stuff. Everything has their expansions, dude. Yeah. Remember, oh, there's so many for that. Remember game. the Smash Up? Oh, geez, they're still up? coming out with some yes, of those. Yes. Yes. I, I went. I stopped by Action Comics today, mm-hmm. and it's like there's this splash of multitude of colors on one shelf. And I look, and it's all the Smash Up expansions, and it's like they've got like a dozen. Yeah. It's insane. But I sold a bunch of stuff at the auction. I got yeah. like two hundred fifty dollars of credit Whoa. at War Room. So, Whoa. so, and I was actually looking at the Smash Up stuff. I was like, maybe should add a few more. Uh, mm. Maybe the Smash Up, mm. but Smash but, Up can't be fun. Yes. But I, I think one of the things I want to get uh, from this is Whitehall. Whitehall is a board game. It's one versus many game. Uh, right up your alley. Right. Uh, one person is, uh, and it's a hidden movement game. It's a mystery track. And if, if you've played uh, Stop Thief in the past or Scotland Yard, it's along that same vein. Uh, one player is playing uh, a Jack the Ripper style person who has to deposit body parts in four quadrants of London. <coughs> tut tut. <coughs> everyone, everyone else is playing the police who are trying, and detectives who are trying to track down Jack. Jesus. <coughs> the rest of the geek shock. <laughs> <laughs> this is. This is your, did you, are you sure somebody didn't just ask you what your preferred board game would be and you told them? So I'm, I've, I've watched a few plays online on YouTube and I think that will be one of the purchases. Wow. It's, it's something I need in my library. My goodness. So, uh-huh. so if you missed it, don't worry. There'll be another one in February. But in the meantime, go check out War Room Games. And you can also buy off their website. That's warroomgameswrg.com. And uh, so they ship everywhere in the U.S. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I showed up briefly. I, I, I'm so dog-tired. Uh, see what I, I did, there? What did yeah. there? And you little I, med carrier, you. Oh, God. Mm. I, just, I came in. I found Todd. I watched. Found me? I watched, oh, you found me. Yeah. Yes, I, I watched one one uh, bid, one round round of bidding, and then I had to leave because I was dying. I was dying on my feet. But I wore my Geek Shock shirt. It was early in the morning. Unlike Todd, and um, <laughs> uh, so I did my bit for advertising, and then I just went home and died, basically for about four hours before I got back up you, to go. You back. earned it. He so. just died in Kit's arms oh that night. Oh, God, yeah. It was, dude, every time I got, <clears throat> they returned on Tuesday morning. And so. So uh, you, you were house-sitting for Matt and Paulette. I was house-sitting for Matt and Paulette, and I was watching the lovely Meg. Meg is a bundle of energy. She is so much fun. And she is the sweetest. Oh, dude. Dude, there was one walk. One of their neighbors has a big, fluffy puppy. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Because this thing is like half Meg's size, and it's still a puppy. And this, uh, it just a cute little thing called Huber. Huber. And uh, Meg was so excited to see Huber, and it was like, I'm holding, I'm trying to control her because she's Meg. She just wants to jump all over everybody, right? And Huber's just like, oh, and they touch noses. And then suddenly, Huber gets all kissy face. Aww. And he's just like licking Meg's face and everything. And Meg's <laughs> like, oh, let me jump up in the air and pounce on you. And and so I, it was just like so much work to control her. She just has so much energy. But she's very sweet. But um, she uh, she definitely sleeps like a cat. 
because she'll put in two hours and then she's up and wants to do something. Oh and, boy. and she'd wake me numerous times during the night. It, it just, that part sucked. So, and I was planning to go home and do stuff in preparation for Christmas, in preparation for decorating. And instead, I went home and slept. And it was funny because Kit missed me so much. He'd, he'd get right up with me, curl up on my chest, and he'd sleep with me. And Tuesday, when they called me, when they texted in the morning, said when they'd be home, I gave uh, Meg a kiss on the head and said, you know, it's been nice, sweetheart. Put her in the cage because I knew she'd be there for only like two or three hours. And then I went home, curled up in my bed. Kit curled up on my chest, and I slept. Oh, fucking day, Tuesday. And Kit sat on me the whole time, too. Just... <clears throat> so... I feel the love. Yeah. Jeff doesn't. He's got a face on right now. But... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just listening. But yeah, it. Uh, I was exhausted. Oh, my God, I was exhausted. I did more walking, which was nice. Because when I would do some yard work or some housework and I'd get out of breath and I'd be like, oh, God, do I have a heart problem or am I just, you know, out of shape? What's my problem? Well, Meg trained me and, and convinced me I'm just out of shape. Gotcha. Because but by the end of the by the end of the two weeks, your heart's strong. I like could. An ox. Yeah, I could do those walks and, and not feel like I was going to die. So although my <laughs> shins were killing me. Good God. But most of all, I want to thank you, Kofi members, for supporting the show. It means so much to us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So, gentlemen, what geeky things did you do this week? Jeff, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I didn't get to do a lot, but I did watch uh, the first episode of Hawkeye and most of the second episode, and I'm very intrigued. Okay, so that is the sequel series to M.A.S.H., no. Oh, okay. This is the the <laughs> latest Disney Plus Marvel series uh, starring Jeremy Renner as Hawkeye and the lovely Haley Steinfeld as, uh, uh, oh, I forget the character's first name. Her last name is Bishop. I just totally blanked out Cassandra? on Cassandra? Yes, I believe you're right. Cassie? Uh, yeah. Yeah, Cassie Bishop. What a talent. Right. What a talent. Holy she shit. is, so like I said, I'm only one and a half episodes in, however... She is fantastic in this role. Uh, she's got that really good mix of like nervous energy uh, as well as deadly accurate looking bow usage as well as great comic timing. So this is going to have... I mean, it's already had a couple of really nice action sequences and it's a good mix of the action and the story and the little bits of comedy. So... It's uh, it's got a good feel so far. Like I said, only an a- an episode and a half in. There's only two episodes on Disney Plus right now, but I'm um, definitely interested to see where this is going. Uh, Jeff has me intrigued now. <laughs> oh, you haven't watched it yet? Yeah. No, I haven't watched it. I, I was going either. to, of course, yeah. because Marvel. You know, you do yeah. that sort of thing. But, but I, the Meg happened. But but you also you like to that. wait until there's a few more episodes in. I wouldn't mind Marvel if you would do your mass dumps. God damn yeah. it! But uh, yeah, yeah. I'm definitely. Uh, I I will watch it though, and and yeah, Haley. God dang, I'll never forget True Grit. I watched that fucking movie, and I was just like, this is a 14 year old kid. Yeah, sweet Jesus. She played well above her years oh as far God. as the acting talent for sure. She is a uh, yeah. 
I did also, I got a free year of Paramount Plus uh, through my cell provider. So I got to watch the the premiere of Star Trek Discovery. Definitely interested to see where they go with this season uh, because there's only one episode, obviously. Uh, posted because unfortunately Paramount also does that God damn one it. episode a week thing. God damn it! What is this? So, the fucking nineties. Um, only one episode in, but it did start off with a bang. So I'm interested to see um, what the plan is for this season as it develops. And I did also get to start watching uh, Star Trek Prodigy. Barry's right about some things. It's definitely written for children. I disagree with him that it's not Star Trek because it does feel Star Trek, uh, just a different storytelling device by using a group of ragtag kids that were on a prison asteroid, uh, unjustly prisoned. Holy shit. And and discover this this starship and they're now exploring the galaxy in this starship, uh, at least in the, the, the episodes that I've seen so far because... It's another one of those week-to-week release right. schedules. So Now, these kids, were they imprisoned by the Federation? Federation no. imprisoning kids? It wasn't the Federation. Uh, They're putting they're, kids in the basement? That's what's happening, Kirsten. Federation, this is the dark side of of Group 11, right? That's they're, the name, Group 11? Are you talking about Section thir- Section 31? Yes, yeah, Section 31. That's, that's what this is. That's child labor. Are they making space Nikes? Yeah. How do you think those ships get made? Space Yeezys. Who 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 mines the alloys? They do. Oh wow. Yeah, they've been intentionally vague about what why the the villain of the series so far has done these things. You know, imprisoned all these um, these Prison kids. Well, it's not just kids, but the kids are the ones that that get the starship. That's why it's a Nickelodeon series. Oh, wow. Kirsten, okay. it's a lot of kids. But, I, I, um, you, you know what? I love Star Trek, and I'm going to watch this, but this has yet another whiff of original sci-fi concept idea given to a studio exec who's like, hmm, let me get this shoehorn, and we'll fit it into Star Trek. Right. <laughs> I've only seen that first episode, but until they get on that starship, I'm like, this feels like a bad episode wow. of Clone Wars. It took a long time to get them on the starship. They, no. the, it's a it's a two episode premiere. When I watched it, it was combined into one, but it did say episodes one and two when I started it. And man, it took a long time for them to actually get on board the starship. And I swear it was like the last like six or seven minutes of the second episode when they finally get on this uh, wow. the starship. So you're like. Okay, so two full episodes in, we still don't know what the fuck is going on here. All right. So, so the first episode was essentially Midnight Express in space. <laughs> That's right, Colum- with kids. That's right, Columbastro. <laughs> <laughs> so those kids in prison was this in space? Yeah, yeah. yeah. How'd you know? <laughs> so how how many episodes are you in then, Jeff? Four. Four. No, sorry, five. Because they're only half hour episodes. Okay. But I don't. I. I. I'm trying to remember what was going on in episode five because I had to stop it like midway through because um, I had to leave I, suddenly okay. uh, unplanned leaving. And I don't remember if I went back and finished it or not now right. that I think about it. So four for sure I remember. Okay. I This is going to sound snarky and I, I don't mean it's snarky. <gasps> you sound snarky? What? No. No. Do any of the characters become likable? Um, That's not snarky at all. <laughs> 
there are two that I uh, that I find likable. Um, <laughs> okay. The the rock and, and, and this the rock is... character is she's she's we find out that it's a she and it's also a child and she's very sweet, even though she's basically indestructible. Um, well, you can still be she sweet and indestructible. She yeah. definitely seems to be, I would say, the heart of the crew because the the others are so hardened and not willing to trust. But oh, she they're not is, made of rock. She is. She is like willing to at least give them the opportunity to to try to you know win her trust, whereas the others are still very guarded, is what I've noticed. That's why the character's written. The lead character is really kind of annoying. Um, He's an asshole. Yeah, I and, could see why he was a child slave. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Oh my god! This, you know, you guys are making me want to watch this more and more. <laughs> really sorry i'm missing out on something here i guarantee it's the standard plot device where they're going to start him off as an asshole and then he'll soften and and become likable but as of right now still not very likable wow this is interesting we, we are talking star trek right he's, I don't, he's not what i saw <laughs> he's the, the the main character he's undeservedly cocky mm. Believes himself to be much more important than he is. To self-appointed himself the captain of the ship. Oh, good. I mean, the list goes on and on. So it's 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 all the standard Hollywood tropes of yes. making that central character, the focus of the series, unlikable at first, and then turning them into a likable character. I'm I, just I'm interested to see how they plan on doing it, but they're definitely telegraphing their mm. their intent at this point. I want to. I want to have a series like that with a character like that, and just just flat out name him Dunning Kruger. <laughs> you know, I just, I just, you know, let's let's not even right there next to his good buddy MacGuffin. You know, right? Let's just put it all out on the table and not fight. Dunning Kruger and MacGuffin. That's the worst law firm. <laughs> <laughs> there's the title of the episode but, but, right but there. there. But there's some great space private eyes. <laughs> clap clap you know <laughs> anything else you do Jeff uh, that's all I got for right now at all least right. all I can think of right this moment it's been ex- aside from the going to the auction I, it's been a very busy week for me but I was able to squeeze a few things in uh, and I, I want to talk about Adam the Woo for a second I know he's a very polarizing figure Adam yeah. the, and he is for me too some of the stuff of his I, I don't like to watch because I, okay Mr. Drone just keep talking yeah Standing by that lake. Um, I haven't watched him in a while myself. But one thing he does really, really well is he puts together some fantastic loca- location hunts where movies were filmed. Yes, he All does. Right. He did a, a while back. He did a fantastic one for the National Lampoon Vacation, where mm-hmm. he went across the country yeah. and found all the places that they stopped and shot at. Yep. And from what locations and this is what's changed and so on. So he's done it for the Halloween films and the Friday the 13th films. He's done for all sorts of nerd properties, Ghostbusters. This week he released one that I was very, very happy to indulge in. He went to Texas and went to all the locations where Manos, the Hands of Fate, was filmed. I miss ah. this one. I'm going to have to go back and watch it. It's that brand new. Brand oh, new. Okay. Uh, now, I know many of you know what this is. Some of you out there may not, and it's understandable. Manos, the Hands of Fate, is where I where I get my name. The, he says as he's wearing the Manos <laughs> yeah, t-shirt I, actually, right very now. Subtle. I am wearing Manos, Hands of Fate t-shirt right now. The 
it is considered by many to be the worst movie ever made. Uh, there's a lot of films with that moniker, certainly. Uh, this one certainly earns it. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it became it came into prominence due to an episode of Mystery Science Theater. Uh, that's where most people know Manos Hands of Fate. In fact, it probably would have died in obscurity without. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, definitely. Mr. Science Theater 3000. It gave it a whole new lease on life. It was a movie that was basically a, a bar bet uh, when it came down to it. Uh, the guy who wrote, directed, and starred in Manos Hands of Fate, uh, his name is Hal. He was a fertilizer salesman, and he said that. Anybody can make a movie, and somebody said, "No, you can't." And I said, "Yes, they can. And I, yes, you can, and I can show you." And he made a movie. Hey, he winner, winner, chicken dinner. Right? He got local talent, mostly local theater people, wrote the script, starred in it, directed it, had to film it on a film that wouldn't have audio, so they filmed everything and then went back and dubbed everything over. Yeah, hey, that the Italians do it. You yeah, can do it. Exactly. Uh, premiered it in El Paso, where it was filmed, and while it was showing, most of the cast left because they were so embarrassed by what they were watching. <laughs> it's true. It is a. It's 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 so hard to describe because it's not one of those. It's so bad, it's good. It's so bad, it's jaw dropping. Yeah. yeah, and you're kind of amazed at what you're watching. The story doesn't make sense. I mean, the damn thing is named Manos, Hands of Fate. And if you know Spanish at all, Manos means hands. Yep. So the title doesn't make sense. But I love it mostly because of the Mystery, the- Mystery Science Theater connection. But I come to love the film itself because of its badness and its background story. And I named myself on the show as one of its main characters, Torgo. And so I am Master Torgo. Well, two, right? Because the master and You're right. Torgo. It's, it's master and Torgo, and it's a combination oh, of those yeah, two. Yeah. I like yeah. that, how he tried to be humble. I only name myself after one character. Yeah, and not the one that's the most evil. <laughs> <laughs> the nice one. Um, the one that takes care of the place while the master's away. Um, <laughs> so Adam the Woo went to all the locations that are left, and let's face it, there's not many. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they... they they filmed this they, over they the course tried, of like a week. They tried to erase it from history. Uh, well, <laughs> it was shot 30-plus years ago. Yeah. Oh. almost four, Actually, more than 40 yes. years ago, right? Because yeah. it was in the 70s? Uh, 70s? I think it was the late 60s. It, okay. Holy So, crap. yeah, almost 50 years ago, and San Antonio has way built up since then. Sure. And they've knocked down the house, but there's still rubble of the house that's there. Knocked down the house, yeah, the but house there's is still gone. rubble. Yeah, there's still, it's, still, it's still in a pile. But what, but what's amazing is that the pillars scene, the one where all of the altar is, yeah. and where and where Torgo gets his hand burned, spoilers, and where all of the wives are, that exists completely. Wow, that is unaffected. That is that is like a. I, I don't know if it's some kind of monument. I think it's a monument to something. And they just purposed it into this for the film. And that is still there. There's housing developed all around it now. Right. But that's still there. That's still there. And and you can see the exact places. Because when Adam the Wu does this, he takes film stills and shows you this. this, Here's the notch in this. So you can see this is exactly where they were when they filmed this. Right. And you can see every single place that that was filmed. That's great. And the fact that Mano's Hands of Fate almost has itself... A thing to go p- 
pilgrimage to. It just astounds me. Well, dude, you just said it. You think it's a monument to something, but you don't know. I have no idea. It's immortalized yeah. because of the movie. Right. But it was made way before then. Yeah. Yeah. But it's or, a, so they tell us. Right, right. But really, wow. they should put a plaque there. So Manlis was filmed here. <laughs> Andy, get the clampers on yeah, it. Yeah, this is a clampers job. <laughs> That's all. This is a job for the clampers to the clamper copter. So I know that Adam the Woo is not everyone's cup of tea. But if you are into Manos Hands of Fate and want to see what's left of what was filmed, he does a really good job of taking you to every single place that film was ever filmed at. I got it. You know, I got to take my hands off to that guy making that movie because you know if i'm going to make a movie on a bet you bet i'm going to be the master i'm going to have a harem it wasn't the master he was the guy that drives there he was the husband he was he was the what he was the piece of shit husband what what all these years yep i've had this wrong what (laughs) yeah the husband he yep. didn't even give himself the... Because I'm like, you know, you give yourself a harem, you got women, you have scenes of women fighting over you. Right, which in itself seems kind of fetishist. Yeah. In some way. that like He filmed yes. a fetish. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not even him. No. No, he, he, gave, okay. he gave that joy to Torgo. Torgo's the wow. one that gets manhandled. He, uh, okay, okay, this is definitely the worst movie ever made. <laughs> Because he didn't even give himself the you plum mean he parts. Gets Manos handled. Ah, thank you, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Hal Warren. I mean, I guess he gave himself the most lines. Yeah, but that character's a real dick. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> that's funny. I um, remember reading a real quick thing. Uh, read a thing on uh, crack they were talking about stars demands and stuff like mm-hmm. that and they mentioned that uh, Steve McQueen required in a contract to have the same number of lines as Paul Newman in Towering Inferno which turned out to be a fucking genius move because Steve McQueen's character doesn't show up until about halfway through the movie so the back end of the movie is very heavily loaded for his character which was actually very smart so you you just triggered that when you said he okay. gave himself the most lines even though he's the husband. I'm always the I'm husband. always intrigued with those uh, those contract writers that they have because I remember David Lee Roth talking about it uh, with Van Halen. Part of the reason they put the crazy yes. stuff in there was to make sure that the promoters were actually reading the yes. whole contract. Right, right. Because if you know the power requirements weren't there for Eddie's amps or the the vocal mics weren't set up right and Dave didn't sound. Like he wanted to sound, you know, it's like of all heavy, the, dangerous equipment. Yeah, exactly. So there was a lot of reasons I would put that stuff in there just to make sure somebody was reading the contract. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm now curious as to if that is still just. I mean, I'm sure there's a good mix of both, whether it's yes. just a, a celebrity being a little too picky, or if they're really just trying to make sure that uh, the contract is being read. Some of it is. <clears throat> Some of it's interesting because I forget which one it is. Uh, shit, I don't know the the star, but he he does red M and M's and a bottle of vodka, you yeah, know? like absolute vodka in his uh, dressing room. And then you got uh, the one weird one. What is it with rich people and white? Because Jennifer Lopez, her dressing room, white. 
white walls, white furniture, white towels, white, 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 white. And it, and it was really funny because somebody said there was something about uh, colors being distracting before performance or something. And I was well, just... Well, that, that sounds really uh, diva-esque. Oh, my God, dude. That was crazy. Colors are distracting me from my performance? Yes, you know, and it's sort of... it's really, Well, it's so funny, too, because of that white thing. It's like I remember Kevin Smith talking about going to talk to uh, Peters about Superman and his living room where they met. He said it was all white, white carpet, white furniture, white walls, white this, white that, white everything. Yeah. And I can't stand that myself because it's like you you feel like you touch something, you're going to leave a smudge or some shit like that, and you just don't know what you're going to do. You're kind of oily. Yeah, exactly. You feel like a slime. Which I, maybe that's the thing. It's to make the common folk feel common, you know? Because, I mean, I know that in the olden days, it, it wasn't actual, like, it's like this is a rich person's thing. Because I'm so rich, if this gets dirty, I can replace it. And I can see it needs to be replaced immediately. Yeah, exactly. And it's just sort of like, you know, common folk didn't have that kind of luxury. And, but, but I don't know. That, the, the whole thing was weird. But anyway, good on you, Steve McQueen, you clever bastard. <laughs> I thought for a second you were going into the, the Shatner common people song there. No. He, he did with, was it Ben Folds, right? Did it with Ben Folds. Yeah. The, the pulp cover. Yeah. Great song. And you know what? Both versions of that song are great, but I like Shatner's version better. There's, you, there's more pathos in that one. Oh, he yeah. brings pathos to every song he does. <laughs> you feel that one. <laughs> <laughs> and the only other thing I really had time for, uh, I thought, you know what? Cowboy Bebop started this week. Oh, the live shit. action one on Netflix, right? Still haven't I have never that. seen Cowboy Bebop the anime to this day. Really? So I was like, you know what? I'll go ahead and start watching this since I haven't seen it. Let's, let's do that. And I started watching it and I saw that first scene. I'm like... I really want to see how this plays out in the anime because that was fucking awesome. I'm going to go watch the anime right now and the anime started and it wasn't that scene at all. Oh. But at the same time, I really dug the anime. I only yeah. saw one episode and I'm like, I can see why people really dig this. This is a really interesting amalgamation of style. Yeah. Bleak. Very cool. Uh, Todd Bleak is the one that uh, introduced me to the uh, Cowboy Bebop anime. Okay. Yeah. And... Uh, I am very thankful to this day that he did because it's a really good series with it, a musical theme that's yeah. far better than Johnny Quest. <laughs> very, I oh mean, just God. buries it. Spot just buries on, it. Yeah. Johnny Quest is seventy-eight. You Tops. know, Bebop is seven point eight. There you go. Yeah. Some somewhere, Andy is getting angry and he doesn't even know why. He's like, why am I so unreasonably angry all of a sudden? <laughs> Sitting there at the fair, cracking open a bottle of rum, and he's just like, I don't know why I'm mad, glug, glug, glug. So I've only seen a little bit of both Bebops. Okay. And I've liked what I've seen, so I will definitely continue, but I think I want to watch the anime before I see the live-action version at this point. Hmm. Yeah. Just because I feel like the anime people are wanting to... No, I'm sorry. The live-action people are really, really wanting to bring in everybody, anime lovers and otherwise, mm. that I want to see how much of the anime that they capture. Mm. But what I saw of the live action, oh, I'm already down in. All right. I'm excited for it. Cool. Kirsten, what did you do this week? Well, what did I do this week? I took care of a dog. That, you know, I put a bag on my hand and picked up poop. I don't know. Is that geeky? Uh, well, depends. Did nope. you Did you sculpt the poop into <laughs> something amazing? Uh... Meg's having some issues, so her poop really isn't sculptable right now. So I'll have to say no. <laughs> Fair enough. 
Fair enough. I will not ask for any further detail. Um, I did buy the Nerf Max Tough tennis balls. These are these are basically doggy super balls. These are rubber oh, balls okay. that are solid. Because Meg is a is an engine of destruction. Yes. She scared the shit out of me the very first day I watched her because I gave her a, a doggy tennis ball, which are made different from regular ones. Like within a half hour, I see her walking around with half a tennis ball in her mouth. Oh my. And I'm like, half. Where's the other half? And I'm looking at I'm like, did she eat it? Oh my God. Because, you know, I had that thing with that stray dog. Yeah. Uh, a while ago and so i'm like having visions of meg getting a blockage and i'm like oh my god and they just left they're on the boat there's no communication oh, shit and i found the pieces because okay, one good. thing meg does that is good is she spits out plastic she rips it to shreds and then she spits <laughs> it out she doesn't swallow it it's kind of like wax lips don't yeah. swallow that there shit people yeah the second thought don't eat the wax lips yeah what are you doing and the same thing with microphone cords yeah <laughs> Exactly. So, choke. Tears to him like they were wax lips. (laughs) Yes. She did. Dude, she demolished that ball. So, but she spat everything out. So, I was like, thank goodness for that. But I can't have another scare like that. And I did some research and Nerf, and it's funny because they're sized to go in the Nerf Cannon, which is a ball launcher for dogs. Oh, okay. That Paulette and Matt happen to have. Oh, wonderful. And uh, I was just like, ooh, I'll get, I'll get two of these and see what they're like. And they're like, fucking super balls they're solid you bounce them they bounce higher than you know when you threw them i mean they got the whole and they are tough she would and you would hear the crunch crack 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 and and she didn't really damage those balls at all and i would bounce them around in the backyard and she'd just go crazy for them so the the nerf max tough uh, tennis balls, I definitely got to recommend. They're just, they're awesome. So in terms of geeky, at one point, I did go home and got on the computer early, 7 a.m. It's early. Um, to uh, um, attend an online class. I actually attended a writing heroic fishing, fiction class. Heroic by, fishing. I love heroic Yeah, heroic fishing. fishing. So you just, yeah, 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 smart guy. That was God. Ha. To viewers out there, Todd got smacked by his own ma- ma- microphone. You can't prove it. You didn't hear a thing. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the uh, Howard Andrew Jones, he's an editor who uh, actually compiled the works of historical adventure writer Harold Lamb, who was a big-time adventure writer in the 1920s. And he was really he was um, he was something special because he actually lived out in Central Asia. When he was younger, he knew knew the areas, and he loved writing those stories. He wrote a lot of Mongol stories. He wrote a lot of non-white protagonist stories, but his most famous character is probably Killit the Cossack. Killit the Cossack. And this is a Cossack who uh, actually, uh, he, you know, he's got like uh, maybe two dozen stories of him wandering around Central Asia and East Asia, encountering Mongols, encountering peoples of various types. And he is a adventure writer who had a heavy influence on Robert E. Howard. So much so that sometimes when I'm reading Robert E. Howard's historical adventures, I get confused. You know, oh, am, wow. I, am I reading one of Harold Lamb's Crusader stories or one of Howard's? But anyway, we were talking about sword and sorcery because Howard Andrew Jones has actually written a few short stories and novels of his own. He's the editor of 
Tales from the Magician's Skull, which is a sword and sorcery magazine that puts out good quality sword and sorcery shorts. And uh, it was really fun. He took excerpts from various uh, pulp writings and adventure writings and talked about character development, entering stories. He's introduced me to the world of Richard Stark's Parker, which is a, a crime novelist. Uh, Parker is this unsavory, you know, he's like a anti-hero. Mm-hmm. But this goes way back. This guy was writing in the 50s and 60s. Okay. And Parker is this uh, guy who works amongst the criminal element, but he's not quite as criminal as the criminals. And, you know, uh. he has to do a lot of outwitting and outfighting. And then, of course, there's tons of Robert E. Howard and Lee Brackett and stuff like that. And we talked about all sorts of stuff. We broke new ground in Robert Ooh. E. Howard's scholarship. How so? Well, there is the story, The Tower of the Elephant, which is probably uh, one of the finest Conan stories. And we had talked about uh, the opening of the story, because there's this, there's this character that Robert E. Howard describes as slovenly, grotesque, everything about him, you know. He talks about how he speaks, and he's like spitting while he speaks and everything. And this guy is uh, going on and on about how he's a master thief and everything. And they're in the, the country of Zamora which is like a country of thieves. And it's like the whole idea of this guy teaching Zamorans how to be a thief is kind of amusing. But he's, he does the exposition for laying out what the Tower of the Elephant is, the wizard's tower, the jewels therein, you know, go in there, make the big steal, get rich beyond your dreams. And Conan at this point in uh, the cycle is a kid. He's a teen, barely out of Samaria, just wandering the civilized lands, if not, you know, early 20s. And he's sort of like, well, why doesn't somebody just steal it? And the guy's like, oh, listen to this young braggart. You know, and he's going on about, he lays out the exposition, all the things guarding the tower, all the mysteries about it, what you have to face. And eventually, of course, you know, the guy gets too insulting and Conan kills him. (laughs) But it was really funny because... Howard was pointing out, you know, and he sort of makes this guy really, really sloppily. And I said that this is almost like a save the cat moment where this guy establishes himself as the worst of the worst. And so when Conan kills him, you're okay with it. You're not going to be like, oh, wow, was that necessary? You know, and it was really funny because I pointed out the guy was a slaver. Because he actually was talking about he's found this nobleman with a beautiful daughter. He's going to steal the daughter because he's already got a rich merchant ready to pay for her and everything. So we're talking about the story. And in the story, Conan encounters an otherworldly being who is enslaved by the wizard. And it's it's actually very touching. It's actually a very compassionate story. It's really, really, it's not what you expect from Conan at all. And in this story, he actually helps the otherworldly being against this wizard. But it was really funny because one of the other guys in this thing is like, you know, it's kind of interesting, too, because uh, Yag, that's the creature in prison, is like, is enslaved to the wizard. And we had this human trafficking guy in the earlier part, and Conan kills him. And it's like a tie-through. And then Howard's like, you know, Mike? In all my years of Howard scholarship and researching Howard scholarship and talking to people who are fans of Howard, I've never, I've never seen that connection before. So 
we broke through new ground. How do you like in that? In the research of Robert E. Howard writing on Conan, by golly. So that was fun and exciting. It was, it's actually, it was interesting because Howard's fun to talk to. It's fun talking about this pulp stuff. Getting interested, getting energized, and you know, really wanting to just get down there and and start typing away, and it was it was it was very cool. He does a nice he does a nice class. If uh, if you happen across anything announcing an online class by Robert, uh, I'm sorry, by Howard Andrew Jones, he does these classes every few months, and I would definitely encourage you to jump on and jump in and talk and talk a little bit about the pulps. So. So that was the big thing that I managed to do. I'm also watching World War II week by week, of course. Uh, they do also these text. They have an Instagram thing where they do World War II by day by day. And they also have these text things. And right now we're talking about Stalingrad, which is really fascinating because I didn't realize how much. I mean, we all know kind of sort of that Stalingrad was like the, the you know, the beginning of the end. For, for the Nazis, it, it would still take a while, but this was the big turnaround. But you didn't, I didn't realize how much of a trap the Soviets had made it. Because it was sort of like they had Chuikov in Stalingrad, and they just kept telling him, hold him off, hold him off, don't lose, don't lose. And they're literally getting down to where they're like hundreds of meters from the Volga. They're holding on to little tiny pockets of the city. And it's just like the, the you know, Paulus's... Uh, army is just pressing down on him. Meanwhile, they're assembling a million Soviet troops to the north and to the south to execute this pincer and close them off, which even Chuikov <clears throat> did not know for secrecy's sake. And it was a total and complete surprise. And within days, within within a matter of like two days, Paulus realized, I'm in fucking deep trouble. And everything had changed. It would still be months before Stalingrad ends. But it was really amazing seeing how this was executed and laid out. Because they did a magnificent job of fooling the Germans and totally just turning things around on them and making Stalingrad Stalingrad a, a complete fucking disaster for them in the end. It was, it was really interesting to, uh, to watch. You know what game I think you'd enjoy, Kay? Uh, what? Warhammer. Warhammer 40K. I oh, think yeah? you would love that game. Really? Just for the strategy aspects I, of it. You know what? It'd be It's gr- war. It'd be great until that one character stabbed me in the back because he turned out to be controlled by Torgo. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, you'd figure it out. You'd figure out a way to make it work that way, <laughs> you bastards. So, yeah, that was my thing. That's a good thing. I like that thing. It was, it was boy, it was a tiring week, but hey, yeah, but, you know. But you made... Made some good stuff in there. You, it, you found some good things, especially yes. that class. Yes, yes. It, it, it was a lot of fun. It was, great. it was definitely a lot of fun. So, Well, before we move on to news, and uh, we, we have so many requests for you, Jeff. Jeff, oh, oh Jeff. It's, it's time for another bad impression from Jeff. Uh, so it, it goes back and forth. Okay. They're, they're, they're great, but then sometimes they're not. Yeah. Jeff's well. impressions. Oh, oh. Right. I was like, you're, you're, the requests are always fantastic. I was going to say, you're going to say that about the request? No, no. Wow. This, is, this is a no, this, this, this is this is a Jeff critique. Yeah. Diss yeah. Jeff. Don't diss the monkeys. No, no. They, they, are you kidding me? These are always We great. need all 12 of those people. <laughs> so we got all, you know, so many in line here that I'm just going to take them as I've gotten them. So oh. next up in line is from Microscope. 
Okay. Uh, Jeff, I've sent you the script. Yep. And that is the script from uh, Pulp Fiction, the Ezekiel ah. uh, speech. Yeah. The great vengeance speech. Yes. He wants you to see how you would do it as Dr. Evil. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is Austin Powers. This is something right. that Jeff has practiced many times in oh, his life. Oh, okay, good. You know, this is this is something that I feel just like last week, absolutely in his wheelhouse. Yes. Which last week was not apparently in his wheelhouse. No. Oh, wow. That was it was it just too far removed from seeing any <laughs> clips of the church lady to try to. So okay, so Jeff, uh, do you need some time to to get get, um, get into the mind of evil? I think I can. I think I can get there. You think you got this? Mm-hmm. All right, microscope. I present to you, Doctor Evil in Pulp Fiction. The path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the inequities of the selfish and the tyranny of evil men. Well. Blessed is he (laughs) who, in the name of charity and goodwill, shepherds the weak through the valley of darkness. Right. (laughs) For he is truly his brother's keeper and the finder of lost children. Oh, a little, little hit. <laughs> Had a little build up there. <laughs> and I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger. Those who attempt to poison and destroy my brothers. And you will know my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon thee. You know what? That was pretty darn good. I, you know what? Without I, being able to practice it, yeah, yeah that, was, I, that wasn't too yeah. bad. No practice. If he, if he the didn't have a mic in his hand, that pinky would have gone up to yeah. the side of his mouth. I almost put a pinky to the side of his mouth. Evil. <laughs> 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 All right. You know what? That gets me thinking. I want a fat bastard request. No, no. Of something. I don't know. Got to, got to be something involving love. You know, <laughs> sure. Just you know, because when you think fat bastard, love. Yes, Absolutely. exactly. Uh, thank you, Microscope, and thank you everybody who has sent requests. They are all coming. We'll, we'll do uh, what a show until yeah. uh, we're until in. It, it's an right. em- <laughs> It's an embarrassment of success, folks. It's just <laughs> there's so know. many res- with so many requests. It's it's going to take forever. But it's don't def- think it's definitely a segment I never thought had legs. <laughs> I thought it would be a one and done kind of thing, to be honest. Well, it has nubs, definitely. It can get around. It can get around. It's Eddie Murphy on that little skateboard yeah, yeah, at the yeah. beginning of uh, Trading Places. <laughs> but just Yikes. because we have a few in the queue does not mean that if you have a request, you can't send it to us. Write it to us, comments at geekshockpodcast.com, and uh, we will accommodate your request for Jeff. Yes, absolutely. So it's time to move on. Let's do some news you don't give a shit about. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, we do have a sponsor this week. Ooh. A Mad Martin turned in his sponsorship for his Kofi. Ah. But I can't use the sponsorship until the certain thing happens. So, and it might not happen in the show. It's very possible. I'm but confused. You, you're right. You're right. He set certain parameters for his sponsorship. I love certain parameter sponsorships. Yeah. Certain things have to happen for his sponsorship to go forward. So, so you sponsorship with caveats. Right. 
So he set the rules. I, I will adhere to the rules. But you will know when it happens immediately. All right. So, so you're telling people we're sponsored, but that's as far as it goes. That's what he wants. I see. He, but so I want to make sure that you know out there that Mad Martin has sponsored this episode. <laughs> but the sponsorship will only go off if something particular happens, which will probably happen because it's this fucking show. So, news you don't give a shit about. Yeah, Jeff is so confused. Mm. <laughs> Lionsgate has released a trailer for a new action horror thriller titled Amityville Uprising. Gah. What? This movie has nothing to do with the original Amityville horror franchise. To date, there has been 23 horror films made with Amityville in the title. Some loosely connected to the older movies, others that just seek to use Amityville's notoriety. Uh, many of these bottom are bottom-the-barrel schlock. So... Why doesn't MGM, who owns the rights to the older Amityvilles, put a stop to this? The answer is simple. They can't. The Amityville story is essentially public domain. Now, none of the individual Amityville films are public domain. However, the Amityville horror was based on a purportedly nonfiction book recounting the short time spent inside the Amityville house on 112 Ocean Avenue by the Lutz family, who claimed they encountered a demonic force that drove them away. This incident occurred roughly two years after the house became vacant due to Ronald DeFeo Jr. murdering his family with a shotgun. DeFeo also claimed demonic forces told him to commit the murders. The town the events occurred in is really called Amityville. The house really did once have windows that resembled eyes, and both the alleged Lutz haunting and the brutal DeFeo murders are considered historical events. Thus, those aspects of the Amityville franchise cannot be considered intellectual property and thus can't be subject to ownership by any particular studio. This enables any fly-by-night filmmaker to make a horror film, no matter how little it may incorporate the supposed historical events, and slap the Amityville name and iconography onto it in hopes of suckering in horror fans. So, we're still getting stupid Amityville B-horror movies. In Amityville Uprising, quote, a chemical blast at a military base sets off a supernatural disaster in this tense action horror thriller as Sergeant Dash tries to keep the peace at the local police station. The explosion unleashes a toxic acid rain that dissolves the flesh of anyone trapped in it. Even worse, it can cause the dead to rise again and attack the living. Can Dash and fellow officer Nina Rossi figure out who is friend and foe, fend off the attacks, and defend their colleagues until the savage cataclysm subsides? Unquote. It's, it hurts. Yeah. Okay, first it of, sounds like the combination of three different really terrible movies. You're, and it is. It absolutely <laughs> is. And Okay, I am not a huge fan of the Amityville series in general. Sure. The first one's okay, and then the rest are bleh. And I'm talking like the original three. However, there are things that you can do with this that will work and make it good. This is not one of them. This is... There's nothing about this that even speaks to Amityville in any way, except that they're going to set it in the town of Amityville. That's it. I think you're right. It's gross. 
it's it's gross. And the fact that it's coming out from Lionsgate really kind of hurts. That's what, wow. Yeah, because Lionsgate puts out great things overall. I mean, there's been some stinkers. Don't get me wrong. But yeah, I was going to say, they're not all winners. No, of course not. But overall, Lionsgate puts out quality material. So for them to put out this piece of shit, wow. And it's, well, I guess it's doing its job. Because they, they called it Amityville blank and people are talking about it. Well, we're talking so. about it. I don't know if people are talking about it. <laughs> we'll get them started, though. I, I'm not even sure we qualify as people, but we're getting there. <laughs> That's okay. Once once Jake gets a hold of it and flies into a rage, <laughs> dozens more will know. Uh, the, yeah, the, this reeks of straight to shutter. So, so if hey, if you're a fan of the first 23 Amityville movies... Here's another one for you. Enjoy. It's probably. I think it's already out on Blu-ray. It, oh wow! It okay. literally sounds like a mashup of Return of the Living Dead three, Planet Terror from Grindhouse, and Assault uh, on Precinct with, with sprinkles of Amityville horror. In there. No, I don't see any sprinkle of Amy Amityville horror. Well, in the, this. the name, I think, is, it, you the, know, is it, the sprinkling. If, if at least the police station had windows that looked like eyes. Then you know. You're right. Now it's now it's officially historic. News <laughs> <laughs> ah. don't give a shit about. Mm. A man named Gary Bowser has pleaded guilty to piracy charges filed by Nintendo, which could see him spend ten years in prison. Bowser, who was arrested in 2020, was a member of the hacking group Team Exec- <laughs> Team Execute. Cuter team executor? Not not t- team scuter? Not a member of Sha Na Na. He was captured when they threw milk in his face. Bowser and- <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. What? Wait a second. Are you telling me that you are bringing up a Sha Na Na Bowser reference and you don't get the milk reference? Uh, well... That was his thing. He yes. would strike the pose and someone would throw milk in me, his face. That it took was me his, a second, yes. That was what being a Bowser was in that group. I, it's been a long time <laughs> since I've seen that show. Uh, for those of you out there, Sha Na Na was a doo-wop throwback group that actually played at Woodstock. But they also had their own variety TV show in the late 70s, early 80s. Yep. Yep. In which Bowser would strike a fist to his face pose and someone would throw milk in his face. That was pretty much the the whole thing. (laughs) But this Bowser, originally from Canada, was arrested in the Dominican Republic and then extradited to the U.S., where he faces 11 felony counts, including money laundering. The U.S. government claims that the group made, quote, at least tens of millions of dollars, unquote, from selling emulation devices allowing buyers to play pirated ROMs of Nintendo games. It also claimed that any attempt by the group to position itself as video game history enthusiasts was merely a cloak for illegal activity. Having entered his plea, Bowser has been ordered to pay Nintendo $4.5 million in damages and also faces another lawsuit filed by the company earlier this year. Bowser, who shares a surname with Nintendo president Doug Bowser, and of course the big green lizard who Mario spars with. Yeah, I was going to say, when's he going to be forced <laughs> to release the princess from the castle? Of course, this is the first person to feel the company's legal force in recent years. Uh, Nintendo's been going after emulators and ROM sites aggressively, forcing many to shut down in face of significant fees. But of course, the big joke here is that Bowser was sued by Nintendo. Yep. 
it's it's a it's a long sentence for a couple word joke. <laughs> Hey, right, right in our wheelhouse. Deadline. Suit Nintendo sues self. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> and finally, news you don't give a shit about one close to our hearts, one especially close to Kirsten's heart. What? The ill-fated theater subscription service Movie Pass. <laughs> which set out to disrupt the movie business back in 2017 before flaming out spectacularly in a short time later, is reportedly eyeing a relaunch. According to court documents reviewed by Insider, a Southern District of New York bankruptcy court judge officially gave rights over to MoviePass co-founder Stacy Spikes after Spikes placed a bid for an undeclosed amount with Helios and Matheson Analytics, the platform's former parent company. Quote, I can confirm that we acquired MoviePass out of bankruptcy on Wednesday, Spikes told the Insider on a statement. We are thrilled to have it back and are exploring the possibility of relaunching soon. Our pursuit to reclaim the brand was encouraged by the continued interest from the movie-going community. We believe, if done properly, theatrical subscription can play an instrumental role in lifting movie-going attendance to new heights. <laughs> Unquote. If it's done well. <laughs> <laughs> when it launched back in 2017, the essential conceit of MoviePass was that subscribers would pay a $9.95, $9.95 monthly fee in exchange for access to a movie ticket a day. Any film, any theater, any market. People signed up in droves. While the entire operation was initially subsidized by investors, the thinking was that a massive subscriber base would be enough to incentivize big theater chains like Lowe's and AMC into inking deals with the service. The company also had ambitions of making up for its losses on movie tickets by being a data-driven marketing operation. In other words, selling your data to third parties. Except that the chains refused their offer and it never truly happened. By September 2018, Helios and Matheson reported $146.7 million in profit losses for the quarter, and by 2019, MoviePass had crumbled. The service was, at one point, on its last legs and defrauding users, resetting their passwords without authorization in order to hinder access to the service, and not at all threateningly claiming that it was capable of gathering users' location data. Yeah, that was <laughs> one of those... I, I still... I'm baffled by that whole thing. They're trying to think that they could drive the price of movie tickets down by going after the, the, the theaters where so much of what the ticket prices are are set by the studios. It's like the theater chains don't really have a whole lot of say in it. They're like, this is how much we want for this print. And then the theater owner's like, okay, well, now we have to charge at least this much. And then in some cases, it's actually written into the, the rental agreements for the prince is that you have to charge at least this amount of money for each screening per ticket. And, you know, the theater owners are like, well, we either accept the deal and play the movie or we don't and lose out on potential concession sales. So I just, I always thought it was, it was, their target was incorrect. You know, they, they weren't going after the right, quote unquote, industry to disrupt but they were never going to succeed the movie industry has too much power to set those terms I, I wonder what it will look like in this new iteration if it truly does appear i mean it's it, it's not official yet it, they're 
They're saying they're coming back, but I'll believe it when I see it. Right. And what kind of business model they'd make. Because you know what? There is something there to uh, the theater, the movie audience, the whole theater business. It needs something because the uh, the way streaming has been taking off. You know, I'm not like Maple Leaf thinking that theaters are dead. Right. But, you know, something is needed. And a subscription service idea is entirely possible because... What is a subscription service but another form of streaming subscription? Well, yeah, you and, know? and a lot of theater chains have started right. their own version of that. Hey, so. we benefited yeah. from uh, Professor Big's uh, AMC thingy. Yep, we sure did. And, so. I, and I think it was very smart for the theaters to go, why would you get movie passive? We can do this ourselves. Yeah. yeah. Where all the, movie com- all the money comes to us. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. You know, I think they need to throw in more popcorn. And I think that uh, Wahlberg produced documentary on this whole story of Movie Pass is still in production. Oh, so we might still see that documentary. Yeah, I, I oh, can't wow. wait to see that. I was gonna say, did that come out? I missed that. Okay, good. Not yet. It's still still being worked on. Good. Weekend geek. Yay! <laughs> A live-action Blade Runner TV series is in the works, according to filmmaker Ridley Scott. The Oscar-winning director revealed that a pilot episode and a show Bible inspired by his 1982 neo-noir sci-fi classic have already been written. He went on to add that similar progress is being made on Noah Hawley's Alien Project at FX, which Scott is producing. Quote, Alien is now being written. The pilot, he continued, and when you write the pilot for TV, you also have to write a history because eight hours or ten hours, you have to write a Bible of what happens, unquote. Uh, thanks to an interview Hawley did with Vanity Fair over the summer, we know that the Alien show that's expected to premiere sometime in 2023 will be less about xenomorphs and more about human greed that leads to xenomorph infestations. Quote, You will see what happens when the inequity we're struggling with now isn't resolved, he teased, continuing, if we as a society can't figure out how to prop each other up and spread the wealth, then what's going to happen to us? There's that great Sigourney Weaver line to Paul Reiser where she says, I don't know which species is worse. At least they don't fuck each other over for a percentage, unquote. So that seems to be the founding theory behind the TV show. I think there's a great future for it so long as Scott makes it accessible to, you know, people with cell phones. He'd love that. He would absolutely love that. <laughs> yeah. So if you if you do that, then then all those millennials, millennials are going to watch it wow. and uh, it'll just transform everything. That quote didn't really go over well, did it? <laughs> no, it dude. Dude, I actually showed up in my YouTube feed. There's a there's a historical uh, European martial arts uh, video channel I watch, Scola Gladiatoria, where he talks about um, historical uh, accuracy in movies as well as uh, recreating the uh, old, old medieval martial arts. And it's really funny because he spent a minute and a half just shouting at Scott. He's <laughs> like, no, this is why Last Duel did not do so well. So, and it was funny because he had some things to say that I agree with. The big thing I agreed with actually was, and he, he, it was really funny. He's like, why do you people keep shooting in these dreary colors? It's like, you know, there were plenty of colors all around in medieval times. Stop shooting in this, oh my God, the world was so awful back then style. The great blue filter. Yeah. And he said, and you know what? If you do 
shoot, we will come to see. And then he like lists off Kingdom of Heaven, which uh, was by, uh, who was it by? Ridley Scott, <laughs> you know? And it, it, it was just, it was very, very funny. Because it was, it's, it's true. It's like, dude, it wasn't the cell phone things. Y- you know, right now, if they were to, did you ever see the, uh, Jeff, you might have, the, the old Technicolor Ivanhoe? Yeah. Right. This is this. I was, mean, it's been a long time. It's yes. been a long time. It, it was in the you know they did Robin Hood with Errol Flynn. That sure. was in Technicolor. Right. And it was a big Technicolor spectacle medieval thing. Then they did Ivanhoe, big, and it was gorgeous. It was you know just an incredible color palette. And it's like right now, I think they could actually do something like that, and it would be a big hit because people would just you know go watch sword movies where you know everything was brightly color colorful color because the wuxia a lot of chinese movies you know they 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 have a historical perspective they even have historical movies and their color palettes are astounding they're beautiful they're beautifully shot and this whole we're going to make dreary as beautiful as possible is just like stop doing that you are it is no longer inventive and open up the iris on your camera a little bit. Everything was not dim and dark. Yes, it's, it's it, you know you're in that dark hut. Sure, it's yeah. dark, but when you step outside, it's fucking bright yeah. because your pupil was dilated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's well, like it, it, yeah. Jesus Christ! It uh, it kills me because it's almost like they looked at a, a picture of uh, like the early days of photography and they said, "Oh well, look how how dim this was." <laughs> so to quote age our film, we're gonna do, it. and it's like. They're they're discovering that like ancient Egypt was very colorful. They yes. had a gr- an immense color palette that was right. used. Same thing. Roman with, and Greek buildings exactly. were painted, painted yeah. to the hilt. I was just all of say, those statues were painted. Yes, uh, like even the uh, uh, the temple that's on the um, the, the hill in, uh, in Parthenon. Greece, the Parthenon. Thank you. Yes, apparently they've discovered that that was painted right. beautifully. Mm-hmm. So it's not these muted. You know, and not even washed out colors. They yeah. use vibrant blues, yes. and reds. It, it, oh, geez, Louise. And it's <laughs> it's so funny because okay, look, at some point, some I don't know what the first medieval movie was where it was all drillery. Maybe uh, Robin and Marion. I don't fucking know. But at that point, it was like, ooh, this is an interesting take. Okay, yeah. we're doing something different. But it's no longer different, guys. And you're not. You're not making any kind of a statement anymore by doing it this way. Well, even Excalibur, which is you know, not a film that holds up really well today, was very colorful. Right. And, you know? and, and Excalibur was, I mean, that one's a tough one to talk about yeah. because it was just so fucking surreal. Yeah. I mean, there's a sex scene and the guy's in full plate armor. Yeah. Except for no helmet because, you yeah. know, you don't have sex with a helmet on. Of course not. But... Uh, Everyone put a little helmet on. <laughs> well, if you want to be safe, but you know, yeah. considering he's conceiving Arthur, you, okay, okay, you, yeah. no little helmet. Yeah, yeah. But we know historically that there were lots of colors yes. in medieval times. Yes, and that you know the 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 very bottom of the rung soldiers that are going out there still had the the, the colors of their houses that they were fighting yes. for. On their, you know, on yeah. their armor or on their, their, you know, leather armor, et cetera, you know, their everyday clothing. So it's like there's, there's historical documentation of this. We have 
artifacts from that era that would show the colors and why they do that mm-hmm. whole muted very gray yes uh sometimes it's not uber. even a teal wash it's like is there such a thing as gray wash over because contrast, that's what they're doing the over contrast it gets me because it's like you've got these super ridiculously dark blacks and then you have these really sharp grays and whites and it's like mm-hmm. that's not what it was yeah and and and, and once again as an individual film that can be interesting. Right. But now that you've made it a genre-defining trope, it's it's totally lost its yeah. punch. It's just crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, this guy was going off, and he, he shows a picture still, and it's funny because Matt Damon is wearing this great helm that apparently has a cutout for half his face to show. And, and it's a funny stylistic choice, right? I actually am like, oh, that's kind of cool. He's ranting. He's hating this helmet. Yeah, historically, it probably wouldn't be a good yeah, idea. Yeah, no, it, it, it wasn't. It didn't exist. But it, it, I think it was a great fun. But nevertheless, it's just like, um, then he shows another still, and it is. It's, it's that gray wash. It's just ridiculous. And, and uh, Damon's character is wearing some kind of surcoat that is, um, it actually looks French. It looks blue with fleur-de-lis. I don't know what the what the hell it is actually, but even the blue and the gold is like so muted. It's just it's it's like it's like there was a volcano and ash was dumped over everything, a thin layer, and it's just just stop, just stop, just stop. And why do you have to make it cloudy all the time in those <laughs> medieval films too? It's like, like it's yeah. always overcast. You know and what? It's like yeah. it's always well. To be fair, a lot raining. of those take place in Britain, and hey, kind of makes well, sense. Well, you know what? You know what? There's a sunny day in Britain now and then, <laughs> every seventh year. Oh, jeez, that's when you know the Antichrist was conceived. <laughs> but no, God, Grimdark is a tone, not an aesthetic. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, even the inventor of Grimdark. Warhammer 40k in the grim dark future there is only war that's where it came from the armies are fucking colorful yes <laughs> yes it's dazzling is that even even the empire even that all that imperial stuff where they're like wearing black armor and stuff there are accents and there are touches and flares as, as well as their banners which makes total sense if if you have a sea of gray black armor, you know you need to identify officers. You need to identify your special personages and stuff. You're going to have stuff that stands out. It's it's just crazy. It it it, it you know quit trying to beat over our heads. You know life was miserable back then. We get it. Okay, it sucked, but you know hey, we're here for the sword fights. Yeah. <laughs> I said, I, I want to watch, you know, Matt Damon. And, and, and actually, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck didn't fight. It was Matt Damon and Adam Driver. Yes. But, you know. So, uh, good w- Goodwill and Kylo Ren going at it. Right. That's what, that's what we're there for. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, now that we got that all out of the way, what do yes. you think about the Blade Runner TV series? <laughs> what, what about it? <laughs> <laughs> now, this is a sequel to Blade Runner 82, not 2094, 2044, 2049. That it's all kind of up in the air. It's assumed as much that it's not maybe not even a sequel. It might have take place in just that universe. Okay. We don't know a lot about right. this. Because the still I saw for that article was something from 2049. Right. Because what's what they got. Which is funny. But um, that... You know, that could be, actually, I think that could be very exciting because they created quite the vibrant world. 
So whether they get deep, I, I, I wouldn't even care if they got too deep into replicants or not, you know, but I'm, I'm sure they will. It'll be all about hunting, hunting those poor replicants. Sniff, sniff. They'll figure in some way. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, that actually, I think, could be, I think that could be cool. I'm, I'll look forward to that, you know. I'll watch it on my cell phone. Yeah. Give it a shot. Yeah. I'll, I'll, even, I'll even move to landscape. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, that's right. Ridley would be proud. Yeah. I, well, I hope he thinks of that. <laughs> We're going to get those fucking millennials, so we'll film it all in portrait. <laughs> Stanley Kubrick would be happy, but, you know. Well, yeah. Anyway. Dark Horse, in collaboration with Lucasfilm and Disney, has announced a new line of all-ages comics and graphic novels expanding the Star Wars galaxy. (sighs) Beginning in spring 2022, readers can expect adventures in every era from the High Republic through the rise of the First Order. Dark Horse is doing Star Wars comics again. I didn't see this coming. The seesaw between Marvel and Dark Horse, just back and forth, forth and back. Is this concurrent with the Marvel stuff, or has Marvel lost the license? What's going on? Todd? How could they lose? Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> how, how could Marvel lose the license? I don't, you know what? I don't know. Honestly, I have no idea how to read this story mm. as far as what it means, because we know that the comics in, from Marvel are all considered canon. Mm, so, right. So if you read it in the comics, that means it's it affects the movies. The movies affect the comics, and then if it, if you read it, it happened in the Star Wars universe official. Right. Uh, doesn't say anything about the Dark Horse thing. I don't mm. know if that's going to be considered canon or not, or if they're just telling legends stories. I no freaking clue what this means. Now, and and High Republic. That's the new Republic, right? Isn't the old Republic the old Republic? What's the High Republic? Uh, that's the one uh, that opened up all the cannabis shops. Because I was going <laughs> to say that uh, it's like, you know, that almost sounds like it's going to be covering all that history between the Battle of Yavin and the death of the Emperor. The high, just, yeah, the High Republic is what you'd have to be to put me in the room with the Ewok. Because I'm not <laughs> going in the room with those human flesh-eating creatures. Are you kidding me, dude? Yeah. Dude, I'm sure that your next dose of ketamine, those Ewoks will be dancing all around you. No, that, that, that's a bad acid trip. That's yeah, what that yeah. is. Because, yeah, Gus, I know that they're, they're not singing praises of anything. They're singing, turn up the, the ovens higher because go. this guy's going to be tasty mm-hmm. as hell. Yub, yub. That's what they're singing. That's what, they're mm. not saying yub, yub. They're saying yum, yum. That's yum. what they're saying. <laughs> High Republic. That's a, you know, well, I'm glad that uh, Snoop Dogg is getting involved with <laughs> right. the Star Wars universe. Yeah, yeah. Seth Rogen's writing the script. Yeah. <laughs> soul Plane. Well, now there's, oh, there's a Soul Star. You just see a big old Death Star. <laughs> oh, there's just smoke rings coming yeah. out. Yeah. Oh, smoke rings. Yeah. yeah. Dude, oh. it writes itself. Oh, yay, weed humor. <laughs> Can't get enough of that weed humor. I know. You th- you thought it was over with, uh, oh shit, what was it called? Uh, fan Cheech Bo- and Chong. I thought it was yeah. over with Cheech and Chong. <laughs> Fanboys. Right? Or Scary Movie. You know? So, didn't fanboys have a little bit of weed humor? A little bit. It little wasn't. Bit. It wasn't. It wasn't overt. the movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not like Soul. Wow. Ooh, Soul Destroyer. I just want to see all those Imperials just, you know, <laughs> high as fuck. Soul Destroyer. That's just cocaine. Yeah. Well, there you go. Oh, <gasps> that's how they destroy the New Republic. You know. So wait, if a if a stormtrooper gets high as fuck, does that mean they actually are gonna hit something when they? <laughs> you, you know <laughs> shoot? what? It could happen. <laughs> Dude, it could happen. 
That'd oh be... shit, dude! I wasn't even aiming for him, and I oh, hit him. Oh, dude! I just oh. And keep the cocaine away from Yoda. He loves the stuff. Yeah. Oh, well, what about Chewbacca? <laughs> <laughs> and he can't hide it either. It's all over the fur. No, it's yeah. That there's no getting that. It's out. Like, what's up with Chewbacca? Why does he keep ripping arms off of people? See, this shit's so easy to write. And why is his face white? Why is his nose white? Why is his eyes red? I don't speak Wookiee, but did he just say, say hello to my little friend? Yeah. That was really good. I want to see Jabba sitting at that desk <laughs> with a big old fucking pile of white right in front of him. <laughs> it just, it just, just buries blob face yeah, right yeah, into Barrett it. mashes his face into it. Okay, that's pretty funny. See, <laughs> Todd, drugs can be funny. Well, they always are, but <laughs> but not yeah. as movies until now. Oh, wow. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, Taika Waititi confirmed that he'll be tackling a big screen adaptation of The Incal, I-N-C-A-L, the graphic... Torpid Torgo's Torturous Tongue Twister brought to you by Mad Martrin. <laughs> there we go. Uh, where was it? <laughs> you were talking about the income. Yeah, yes. A series of graphic novels created by the legendary duo of writer Alejandro Jodorowsky. Hodorowsky. Hodorowsky. Do you have to do this each time now? Torpid Torgo's Torturous oh, oh. Tongue Twister brought to you by Mad Martrin. Holy shitballs. <laughs> this is going to be a three-hour episode. <laughs> And illustrator Jean Girard. That's a Mobius. Giraud. Torpid Torgo's Torturous Tongue Twister brought to you by Matt Bartron. <laughs> the series, which first kicked off in 1980, follows John Diffool, a lowly detective operating a seedy dystopian operating in a... I'm, nope. Nope. Once, now it's once per story. Operating a seedy, in a seedy dystopian world who finds his entire life upended when he stumbles upon a mystical artifact called the Inkle. This unintended discovery puts Diffwool in the sights of powerful enemies like Metabaron, the galaxy's greatest warrior, and tasks him with saving all life everywhere. Watiti compared Diffwool to Jack Nicholson's private detective, Jake, is it Gitz or Geitz, in, in Chinatown? Uh, Geddes, right? Geddes, I think. Torpatorgo's Torturous Tongue Twister brought to you by Mad Marcher. Now I'm, I'm not going to say the right pronunciation. <laughs> Uh, quoting Watiti, he doesn't really know what he's doing. He looks like an idiot because he's got that big piece of gauze over his nose and stuff. He's sort of bumbling his way through this thing, and I just love the idea of someone who has no idea what he's doing in his life who is then being charged with saving the universe, unquote. I've never read The Inkle, but I know it by reputation. And so, in Watiti's hands, I'm just plain goddamn excited. Yes. I mean, it's it's uh, it's basically uh, Moebius and Hodorowsky were just like, well, we can't do Dune, so it, it, he says it. Jeff, right in the uh, right in the the documentary, he was like, we were just like, you know, well, Moebius is like, what are we gonna do? And I'm like, we'll make comics. We'll take all the, everything we've done and we'll just take it to comics. So it's uh, it's great visuals. It's incredible uh, stuff like that. And and in Waititi's hands. We were just talking about palette, color palette, right? Thor Ragnarok was yes. was brilliantly and you know giving those kind of visuals inspirations to uh, giving Moebius's 
visual inspirations to Taika Waititi is top-notch. That'll be awesome. The live play series Critical Role is getting its first major Dungeons & Dragons adventure book next year. Created in collaboration with Dungeon Master Matt Mercer, Critical Role Call of the Netherdeep launches on March 15th, 2022. It will take players from levels 3 to 12. Besides an all-new story that introduces unseen locations and monsters, it also introduces mechanics for a rival party of NPCs. <gasps> Taking place in the world of Exandria, the setting of Critical Role Seasons 1 and 2, this book will lead adventurers into a sunken realm that's described as a cross between the Lovecraftian Far Realm and the Ocean Depths. Critical Role, Call of the Nether Deep, challenges players to rescue, quote, a mighty champion of the gods, unquote, whose name and deeds have long since been forgotten. Oh. So Critical Role getting their very first official Dungeons and Dragons adventure. Yes. Cool. That's exciting. Yes. Yeah. They had they had a, a book with uh, Wild Mount. Well, well, they also had a 5e Taldoray thing. Uh, that came out, but um, this this is going to be this is going to be definitely cool an adventure. And you know, everyone talks about the show. They talk about his work as a dungeon master at the table, but he's wildly imaginative with his story stuff, dude. When you hear him talk about all the backstory he had, but for stuff that didn't even get didn't even get touched on, or he talks about if you guys had done X. Instead of why, then this would happen. He'll go on, and it's just, it's amazingly, amazingly uh, creative. So he, uh, th th this is a great, um, a great source for, for wizards to tap into, you know. They wouldn't, uh, and, and, you know, I, I think he could out Ed Greenwood, Ed Greenwood, if uh, given the opportunity. They probably won't do that, but probably not. they'll get plenty of good stuff anyway. I think, and I think it will make both a boatload of cash. I think oh, yeah. there's a lot of people who want this. Yes, who, who want the critical role experience, mm -hmm. and what better way to experience it yes. than say, "Oh, let's do the official thing." Then get the get the get the book, get the monies. Just yeah, let's yeah. keep let's keep getting it. Disney is moving forward with the reboot of Flight of the Navigator, with Bryce Dallas Howard attached as both director and producer. Justin Springer and John Schwartz will also serve as producers. No word on who will be writing the screenplay. The project, which is slated to debut on Disney+, Plus, will mark the Jurassic World's star's feature-length debut. It's the daughter of Oscar winner Ron Howard. She was previously helmed episodes of John Favreau's live-action Star Wars show The Mandalorian. This is the first update on the film since late September of 2017 when it was reported that a Lucifer co-showrunner Joe Henderson would be penning the script on behalf of Lionsgate and the Jim Henson Company. The original Flight of the Navigator was released in early August of 1986. The movie, based on a story by March... Uh, Torpid Torgo's Torturous Tongue Twister, brought to you by Mad Martrin. The movie's based on a story by Mark H. Baker, starred Joey Kramer as David Freeman, a young boy who is abducted by a spaceship that transports him eight years into the future. Despite positive reviews, the film didn't make much of the box office, but has since become a cult classic. I liked it. Way to chime in there, Jeff. <laughs> way, that's way to add to the conversation. No, I mean... 
you know, as a kid watching it, sure. I mean, yeah, it's, you know, it speaks to kids because it's like you yeah. go on the adventure, you get to meet friendly aliens versus like the, you know, the, a lot of times they, in movies, you get the, the evil aliens that are out to get you and so forth. So I, I, I don't know. It was just, it was, I, I saw it at a friend's house. He had it on videotape and we watched it and I really enjoyed it. I didn't see it in the theater, but, uh. I always felt like they could probably, you know, redo it. Maybe. I think it's something that's ripe for reboot. Here's yeah. an interesting thing about Flight of the Navigator for me. It's one of two movies I put side by side to each other because they have that same kind of feel. Explorers right. and Flight of the Navigator. Now, here's the thing. I've watched both of them probably equal amount of time. Sure. Recording them off of TV or whatever, around VHS and just watching them over and over as a kid. I can remember so much of Explorers. Right. I can't remember Jack's squad about Flight of the Navigator. I remember what the ship looks like, and I remember some of the in-flight scenes and the little arm thing that is the communication between the kid and the, the ship. I don't remember much of anything of that movie. Hmm. Okay. And I know I've watched them equal amounts because they're on the same goddamn tape. I, don't, I got nothing for you there. I mean, I, I remember the movie. I, I guess what I'm trying to yeah. say, Jeff, is I liked it. Okay. <laughs> I still want to see that uh, documentary about uh, life after Navigator with the about the the kid that's the star. They made and, a documentary about the kid. Yeah, because uh, apparently he had some uh, mental health and substance abuse problems post. Oh wow! Post Flight of the Navigator, and uh, but it also gets into like the you know the origins, the the film, how it got made, etc. So. Something tells me it that's was, not the heart of the film. It, you know, it was on Amazon Prime, but it was like a, a pay-to-watch thing. And I, okay. I think I put it in the queue and then just forgot about it. So one of these days I'll have to, to remember to watch it. <laughs> How could you possibly lose that in, in the myriad of things to watch, Jeff? I can't imagine why Dude, you could like lose every, something. Every week something new is, is like, oh, I want to check that out. Or something that I used to watch comes back around... Like with new episodes, and and it's like, ah, damn it. Just this week, Jeff, we mm-hmm. got the live-action Cowboy Bebop. Yep. Right? Which we, I still haven't got to. We got The Wheel of Time on Amazon. Yep. Oh, I watched that. Did you know? <laughs> I watched that. Did you watch that? I watched the first episode. I watched the first episode. Oh, okay. Do you, well, want, do you want to talk about it? Well, I don't know. Uh, I was holding off because I hadn't seen any more than that. So I'm like, oh. well, I, maybe I want to watch a little more before yeah. I talk a little bit about it. Right. Uh, but I will say that first episode is about as far as I got in that first book. Oh, yeah? Yeah. That's about as So I, I've read. Oh, I, I've wow. watched up to the point that I've read. Really? <laughs> yes. I thought you would have uh, devoured that. No? It, it, it's, I, it was given to me as a gift of one of the monkeys. Thank you so much. Oh, yes. And that's right. I remember. And I started reading it, but I started reading it at a time that was really, really disruptive. Mm. And so I, I just could not continue it. So I've, I've got it in my hands again, and I've started it again. Oh, my. Right. So I'm kind of reading it along with the show at this point. So like, let's, let's tackle this again, but now the show's here. So now that's one of the reasons why it's so, going to be a slow slog for me to read it. Right. Because at the same time, I'm still trying to uh, get through uh, Something Wicked This Way Comes, part of the book club's mm. combo this month. And, and I'm enjoying that. So I'm like, I got to get back to Wheel of Time. 
but I, I want to finish this for this month. And so it's, yeah, well, it's all that know, juggling. Plus there are like 10,000 books. There's, there's, and, and, there are, there are a few other books out there and you can make good post-apocalyptic armor out of these books because they're so thick. Right. But don't wear the helmet if you're going to have sex. No, no, <laughs> no. Unless, unless it's the little helmet, then make right. sure you wear the little yeah, helmet. Especially in post-apocalyptic. Yeah. You, you, don't, don't, you, don't, you don't want kids growing up in that. You're, they're going to be mutant kids. Yeah. Right. Never mind the mutant herpes that's probably going around. Ice pirates, very nice. Ice pirates. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, was that a that's oh, space a herpes? Sorry, that was space a whole different herpes. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say mutant a, herpes, space herpes. You know, you know they, they kind of yeah. work on the same well, level. So long as it isn't like Klingon the spikes, <clears throat> that's the worst STD. Or the spear and the magic helmet. Spear and magic helmet. <laughs> I love that, Jeff, that your, your box is way over here. There I you love go. that your box <laughs> you was go. way over here. You know, it's, it's, uh, he, had a, he had an almost Andy moment. He, he Magic did. helmet? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's still there. Okay. You, you could almost say that he's Looney Tunes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what were we talking about? Uh, I think oh, it no. was going on in the next story. Oh, okay. Uh, though the original Atari 2600 has long been off the market, Anyone with an Atari game cartridge can still plug and play if they've got a working old-school Atari console, or at least a newer licensed platform like uh, Hyperkin's Retron 77, amongst others. I got some kind of emulator from this uh, Dominican yeah. Republic company. Well, as long as your name's not Bowser, you're uh, all right. Okay, good. Now Atari is rummaging through its retro gaming library, debuting a new publishing platform called Atari XP, that puts its titles back onto Atari 2600 cartridges. Atari XP isn't aimed at reissuing classics like Asteroids, Space Invaders, or Centipede. Instead, Atari is using the program to give rare and never-released 1970s and 1980s titles their first-ever cartridge debut. That means under-the-radar games like Aqua Venture, Saboteur, and Yars Return, none of which ever saw a wide release on the original Atari 2600, will at last be packaged and playable on Atari's throwback cartridge. The idea behind art... God damn it. <laughs> Torp... Uh, I can't even... <laughs> oh, I can't even read my goddamn punishment. Torpid Torgo's Torturous Tongue Twister, brought to you by Mad Martin. Do you have to say it again because you flubbed the first? Yeah, really. No, I, there's nothing else to say if I flub that. Unless I start, I'm, I'm not even going to. My brain doesn't even want to go through that cycle. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's what that is. No. No, no. So the Atari, <laughs> the idea behind Atari XP, says the company, is to begin making available collectible physical games beginning with never released and rare Atari games from the 70s and 80s. That titles include games that were completed but never received official release and were only released in limited quantities as some, as well as games for which physical media has now become extremely rare and therefore hard to find. As of now, Atari XP's launch lineup is limited to the three games I've already mentioned. Uh, a sequel to the 1982 Atari original Yars Revenge, Yars Return, appeared in 2005 for the Atari Flashback 2 console, bridging a 23-year gap between the original and its successor. So that game's actually seen publishing mm. if you got that specific Flashback 2 console. I, I remember uh, Vlarg, uh, 
weighing in on the whole Yars Revenge uh, development team and stuff like that. So there was a lot of hate. Th- yeah. this, this was this is when they did that remake of Yars Revenge for modern consoles. Uh-huh. Uh, modern being, I think, the Atari, Atari, the uh, Xbox 360 at the mm. time. Ah. And they and yeah, that was not well received by many. Yeah, including some of our own. That wasn't because Atari, right? They they did the the fancy entire lineup in the joystick thing, didn't they? Not the entire lineup, but a it's selection like, yeah. of games. It, yeah. I have that one. It's got like four or five games. Yeah. on Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Just I, a nice showcase of how technology has changed. Yeah, it, the, the the joystick is the entire fucking system yeah. and you, games. You literally plug it right into the TV and you can right. and turn it on. And you can play the games. Yeah. I remember yeah, that's when they released a whole slew of those style of things. Yeah. You'd find almost a whole Walmart section of them. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, a, a Namco thing and a Intellivision thing. And Intellivision. Intelligent television. Wow. Commodore 64. You know, they still really haven't. I mean, I think there's an emulator of Commodore 64 now. Uh, the keyboard is non-functional. Yeah. So it, you can only... Pl- play certain games that didn't involve keyboard action. <laughs> like you can't play an Infocom game on it. So, True. so, but you can probably play like, a, I don't know, their version of elevator action. And, and wasn't there actually a jump man, a Commodore 64 keyboard keyboard? Yeah, like, uh, there for, was, there, there's even uh, a couple of Commodore 64 homebrew kits out there now where you can basically build your own fully functioning Commodore 64 yeah. um, from, uh, parts and then there's uh there's a few uh like raspberry pi based uh commodore emulators that you know people have put in a like 3d printed enclosure so it looks just like a commodore 64 and it can still run the code wow but uh you know the actual internals are so much more compact it's ridiculous yeah sure and it probably runs a little faster it's yeah the old commodore you'd have to load up a game comma eight comma one and yep. then leave the room to get a snack my dad got me the uh, cassette tape. Uh, oh, even better. Yeah. Press, press play on tape. I yeah. could never get the tape to work. Um, the, I liked the cartridges, though. You just plugged it in the back and flipped it on, and then you go and go right into the game. No but loading time. It no loading time. Uh, the worst was the, the Commodore games where it had multiple discs, and you had to do the disc swapping. Oh, those took forever. Yeah, mm. Some of the best games, but yes, yes, indeed. Hell, okay. I remember with, I think it was Ultima 5, that if you crossed a certain part of the map, yep. that you had to flip, turn up, turn a new disc. So you didn't want to go into that territory ever, yep. because you didn't want to go through all that load time. Yep. Oh, old school gaming, we uh, miss you somewhat. You kids don't know how good you've got it. In fact, I remember my friend uh, back in uh, junior high ended up getting a Commodore 128, and you would run the 64 games on the 128, and it would run it so much faster. Yeah. And the load times were like half. And I remember going, Dad, can we get a 128? He goes, we got a 64, and it works just fine. Okay. Oh. <laughs> I had a similar conversation with my parents about the Commodore 64 versus the Amiga. Yep. Even though they were completely different systems. Exactly. But damn it, that Amiga looked good at the time. It sure did. LeVar Burton is set to host a game show version of the classic trivia game Trivial Pursuit, ah. which is currently in development at Entertainment One on the E1 network. The hosting gig is part of a deal between E1, which is owned by Hasbro, and Burton's LeVar Burton Entertainment, LBE, to develop Trivial Pursuit into a game show format. 
Burton will also executive produce. No network is currently attached to the series. The news comes after Burton was amongst the most popular choices to take over the Jeopardy! hosting gig following the death of longtime host Alex Trebek. The board game Trivial Pursuit is currently available in more than 26 countries and 17 languages, and over 100 million copies of the game have been sold, and it was named the Games Hall of Fame. Named to the game... Mother... <laughs> Torpid Torgo's Torturous Tongue Twister brought to you by Mad Martin was named to the Games Hall of Fame by Games Magazine. And the game is absolute bullshit. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I'm sure the what? I'm sure that this TV version will be fun to watch. It is LeVar Burton. Yeah. Awesome. What but happened? Children Pursuit. Yeah. The game itself. <clears throat> right. Fun for its time. Yes. Been be- done better by many more since. Yeah. It's, I mean... Kirsten, I know you have an issue with games that rely on chance versus strategy. Right. Right. And that really is it. And it really all comes down to the final pie of Trivial Pursuit. True. the game is you, you land on a color. The color is the category. You're asked a question of yes. that category. If you get it right, you get a plastic piece that look like a little pie piece in your circle. Yep. When yep. you fill that up, you then have to go to the center yes. where your competitors will choose the category. And if you answer it, you win. Yeah. That's how it works. Sure. The problem is you have to land exactly on that space. Yeah. Well, yeah. And so if it's it's a one in six chance that you will land on that space wherever you are at at the end. And 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 that turns into every other because don't you can't you oh, right. can't zip out and zip back in. So if you nope. you roll you have to move out of that space and then move back in, right? Am I right? Am I you, remembering correctly? No, yeah, there's there's many legs in, so you yes. can go to wherever you want. Yeah. Now, if you answer the question right, you can roll again, so you have a there chance. So there is that, but it's always so bullshit that it's like, okay, you can go, you can take down that whole thing, fill up your whole circle with multicolored pie, and nobody else has a pie, but you can still lose because you just didn't roll a four. Not to mention the games just go on and on and on because of that. Well, like, yeah. like you could get everyone with their their little yeah. game piece filled with all the little pie wedges and still have like another hour before you get sure the game. I mean, the last time I played it, we all got so frustrated because we literally we, there were uh, four of us and we had all of the pie pieces in there. Which was saying something because sometimes when you get in like the sports categories and stuff, you know, none of us remember any of those, mm-hmm. you know, specific events. So you finally get that one piece that you're not an expert in that category filled, and you're like, thank God, we're now close to the end of the game. And then it was a whole nother hour after that that yeah. we were still, and then we ended up just giving up. We're like, you know what? Fuck it. We, we all answered. More questions than we should have had to. Nobody could land on that center space, so fuck it. Let's just put the game away. Game yeah. shouldn't be a chore. I, yeah. it, it was funny. I, I remember playing one game, and sports is like my weakest. Yeah, me too. My weakest porn. but uh, It's my best. Your weakest porn? My it's, weakest porn. Torpid. No, it's not him. Okay, never Torgo's Torpid Torture Porn. Don't watch it. Whatever you do, don't watch it. Yeah. 
but watch it. Um, anyway, uh, and it was really funny because they were just like, oh, yeah, we, you know, we, we got, yeah, Kirsten ain't going to win because I couldn't, I could not answer any of the sports questions. And then the, the winning question, and they pulled up a card, and it was about the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> and I won, and they were pissed. Table. <laughs> I also got pissed one time because one of their history things was uh, who's the first emperor of Rome. And it's Augustus, but they insist it's Julius Caesar. What? And they're fucking wrong. That is absolutely wrong. Yes. Wow. Guess what? People would give me shit like, oh, wow, Kirsten, you just can't stand it when you just don't know the answer, do you? And it's like, I know the fucking answer on this one, and it's not Julius Caesar. And the game's pre-internet, so... To back yourself up, you have to go to the library. Yeah, yeah. no, there was no instant resolution of the conflict. You had to go to the Encyclopedia Britannica, pull it off the wall, and then thumb through and go, aha, mm-hmm. see, they're wrong. Yeah, so. But yeah, it's... Um, but who know. has a whole collection of Encyclopedia Britannica just sitting crazy on the wall? Crazy people. Crazy people. That's who. Yeah. We did. My mom found a good deal at I a rest, garage sale. Rest my case. <laughs> rest my case. <laughs> yeah, I had to... Uh, I was I was with, I was common folk. I had to make do with World Book. Uh, you know, World Book. World Book had one book for each letter, unlike Encyclopedia Britannica, which had a book for you know a portion of a letter. Yeah, I think I had Scholastic's Children's Encyclopedia. We had the, a lot. We had the whole collection, <laughs> but I want to say it was like about five or ten years out of date. Oh, you know, <laughs> so what? it was still okay for most things, but <laughs> then you're like, yeah. I guess I got to go to the library now because this is way out of date, dude. It was fun. <laughs> have a headache, leeches. Get some leeches. My world book, my parents bought when I was born. They're uh-huh. like, this is gonna be great for Kirsten when he's going to school. And oh, wow. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, I appreciate the love in that. Yes. No, yeah. it was because I, and I, I did. I was the kind of nerd who, you know, I loved actually just cracking open an encyclopedia and starting to read, just reading. Yeah. Sometimes that could be fun, you yeah. know, get a good category or two that you're interested yeah, well, in. Well, you know, discovery, right? Yep. Finding out new things. Bunch of nerds around me, I swear to it's, God. It's like getting in a rabbit hole on Wikipedia. I'm guilty as charged. Or YouTube you nowadays. Yeah, really. <laughs> oh, yeah. You start there, war in Stalingrad, and like an hour later, it's like the you know eating habits of horses in winter, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're like, okay, I guess I can trace a connection here, but this is kind of weird. Anything and weird, everything. wild stuff, or you know, cat videos. You want you want to feel for it? Just hit random on Wikipedia. It's pretty much the same experience. <laughs> oh yeah, hit random, baby. And you know what? It, I can't. I can't dog on Trivial Pursuit without giving something back to say. You know, instead, try this. If you feel like playing Trivial Pursuit, play Wits and Ra- Wagers instead. It's a lot more fun. Everybody's more involved. Right. Wits and Wagers, if you're not familiar with it, is a gambling trivia game Ooh. where everybody plays. Everybody gives an answer. And then you bet on who you think has the right answer. Ah. That sounds like a Jackbox game. Yeah, it's, it's, it has more of a Jackbox feel to it. In fact, I think they did do a video game version for it when it first came out. Like on the 360, mm. and it's been coming out ever since. So you can play it digitally, but it started as a board game, and it works great for a family trivia game. So instead of Trivial Pursuit, play Wits and Wagers so much better. Or just get the Trivial Pursuit cards, pull them read a question, and if a person gets it right, or the person gets it right, everyone has a shot. Like in the mouth? Like punch him? 
Wow. <laughs> wow. I like how he qualified that at the very last second. <laughs> yeah. A drink. Oh, okay. Everyone oh. has a drink. That sounds like and that. And don't would... do it if they get it wrong, because then people are just going to deliberately get it wrong. Well, no, wait a minute. You do it like uh, you do it like quarters. If you get oh. it, if you everyone else gets a drink. No, wait. You have to. Uh, oh, you my good. you get you it wrong. You drink. You get it right. Everyone else drinks. There you go. Oh wow. Game created. TM. That's the Geek Shock Trivial Drink Game. That doesn't sound like it would last very long. There you go. Get that fireball and play. Fuck. This will not be a Kofi reward in any way. Just want to <laughs> lay it out there before someone puts it out. What? That's not going to happen. What? That's not how. No. No? No. Oh. No. Oh. Fireball, the official whiskey of it is Geek not. Shock. It is not. I, nope. I just said that so Vlarg would shit himself, and he doesn't even know why. <laughs> He's like he's like on his way to Houston, and he's like, "What's this in my pants?" Well, he kind of does that anyway. Yeah, so well, that's just, the, the, Vlark has always been a random shitter. Yeah, actually, really? somebody, you, I'm. We mentioned Yar's revenge as well as this, so he's shit himself twice already Full tonight. Shit. The, the dude, he's probably like, "I must have picked up something on the boat." I know. <laughs> Deb is like pulling out the little Meg the shit baby wipes you know, bags, and she's like, "God damn it, Barry!" Barry has never felt so tall sitting. <laughs> On her birthday, no less. <laughs> On her birthday. Everybody, let's take a moment and give Deb congratulations on the anniversary of what is undoubtedly the best day in Barry Rob's life. Oh, yes. Happy birthday, Deb. Happy birthday, Happy Deb. Birthday. Our, our own resident scientist. Yes. You know, Jeff isn't even a scientist. Yeah. Right. She so. actually gets to say, back off me, man. I'm a scientist. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and she mean does. it. Absolutely. Biggs is a professor, but she's a scientist. Right. A professor and a Boom. scientist. And then there's us three schlubs. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. Don't forget Maple Leaf Matt. I'm going to forget Maple Leaf Oh. Oh. And I'm not, I don't have to read the ad anymore because there's no more news to talk about. But if you have something to say, write to us. Comments at UglyCouchShow.com. And if you want an ad on... Did I fucking do the old one? I did. <laughs> I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for him to make another mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Torpid Torgo's Torturous Tongue Twister brought to you by Mad Martin. Here I... <clears throat> Just one of those out. They pulled me back in. All right. <clears throat> anyway, what were you saying? I was saying, write to us comments at geekshockpodcast.com. Oh. Right? Oh. That's that's what I was that's what I said. Yes. I, and see, he could have edited out and none of, no one had been the wiser. No, but now he has no. to leave it in. Now, he has that weird, absurd uh, honor. It's true. There's I, I I hold to that mistake. It was an earned fucking mistake. <laughs> <laughs> it's an earned mistake. That's a geek shock concept for you right there. <laughs> I earned that mistake, <laughs> goddammit. And, of course, anybody in our tier four and higher can have ads on our show. Absolutely. And I do want to take time this week to thank our Banana Pudding tier members, our tier one members, Sir Chomps, Matthew Bates, David Hydebreyer, Scoop Bucky, Highland Scoop, Chad Wilson, Ambivalent Hoax, Richard Bruin, Scoopatron, Mandy, Sour Maddie D, Jacob Flora, Aaron Esquire, Multiverse Tonight, Bust Rod, Chris Yeckel, Scully, Dr. Mr. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Torpid Torgo's Torturous Tongue Twisters brought to you by Mad Martin. 
Mr. Dumble Dave and two is one. And of course, I want to thank our Buckfest. Buckfest. <laughs> <laughs> Do it. <laughs> the Fuckfest. Yeah. <laughs> Fuckfest and Haggis, tier five members, Leon Mitt, Jeff Harris, Jake Godbold, Aussie Matt, and Mad Martin, you sick bastard. <laughs> and our Fireball Whiskey tier four members, King Vol, Deb T, and David Farrar, and everybody who is in the Kofi. Thank you for supporting the show, and thank, thank you. you for listening. And if you have a moment, go on to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your show and place a review for us there. It really, really helps us. And until next week, I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Commander K. And we'll talk to you next week in Geek. Yeah. I knew I was gonna I had to do that ad. Mm. And I'm like, you know what? I bet I can make through the show with maybe two or three <laughs> tops. Ha. Who do you think you are? Yeah, really. Come on. Uh, <laughs> who who are you listening to when you listen to these <laughs> yeah, things? I was gonna say, what podcast are you listening to? <laughs> the fucking hubris of Master Torgo. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> now, but the great thing is is the amount of money we generate every time you said that, right? Is it well, was that uh, every time? Is I don't know. Is is that how uh, isn't that how ads work? I think Todd? yeah, I, I think it's every time. So Mad Martin, dude. We get money every <laughs> Yep. <laughs> every time I it happened. <laughs> uh okay. Oh my goodness. Wow. You know it it um it reminds, oh God, we played that, played one fucking, what the hell, I can't remember the damn game. I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> no, it's, a, it, I'm excited though, Jeff, I'm excited. It's a, it's a, it, it was this hilarious game. It, uh, you had to read something and, uh, there was this one thing where Andy had to read this long thing about the Smithsonian Museum. Oh my. And, and. And it was a it was a nightmare for the poor bastard, and and I didn't help because I was a complete asshole, laughing my ass off every time he tried to read it. I'm shocked, shocked I tell you, <laughs> because because yeah, it was it was like a golf cart uh, rolling through you know red rock, just hitting every rock along the way because oh, it wow. was just that poor guy just couldn't get it out, and I forgot that I don't I can't remember the damn game, but I'm so curious. Uh, but yeah, it's something you had to. You had to read something and then, oh shit, god damn it, I cannot remember anything about that game. Andy, I, Andy's going to be listening to this now, screaming the name yeah, and the thing. I wonder, yeah. I love that you can't remember the game, you can't remember a damn thing about Nothing. it, but you'll remember the moment I remember. where Andy was a deer in headlights and, and the you rocks were, you threw at the car. And I was a complete <laughs> cunt, yes, yes, I do remember that moment. Oh, it's so goddamn funny. But you know. yeah, yeah, board games here, members. Wait till you play board games with us. We're a we're a hoot. Oh yeah, we are. <laughs> or wait until you play D and D with uh, yes, with and, Kirsten. Uh, d- double you, hoot. You know, you mentioned that, Jeff. I want to say, uh, uh, fuckfest members, get on the Discord. We got the D and D channel, so make sure to put in uh, your desire if you haven't already for character and class, because uh, I will be building pregens. And we'll be getting that going. I am making my way through Roll20. As I uh, spoke on the Travails with Meg, I did not get to go home and experiment with the Roll20 like I wanted to. But I have watched numerous intro to Roll20 <laughs> YouTubes. So, numerous. So if, if, if I have, yes, I've act, it's funny. I've actually watched different ones. And the way different guys do different presentations of essentially the same information is actually interestingly helpful 
because you get the same information organized in different ways. And I think that lights up different spots of your brain and it actually helps. It helps you to remember stuff. You so, know what, Kirsten? <clears throat> do or do not. I know. I know. <laughs> no, I know. Time to shit get off the pot. I, you know what, dude? I, you know, I was. But every time I went home, Jeff, yeah, my sweet, sweet bed was calling to me. And mm. I have to say, uh, nothing against the uh, hospitality of Paulette and Matt, but that air mattress that they have for their guests. Wow. <laughs> wow. And I literally, I literally would lie down on my casper queen size bed with a three inch memory foam pillow top on top of it and i would my body would literally go oh thank you Dear you know God they made heaven. there's this wonderful thing called coffee that that actually helps with that helps with making a bed softer i don't understand no, how no, that no, works no. Help, helps with with what? the the cure for it the bed like calling your name oh i'm a, a sleep deprivation i think that's the word you're looking for yeah, no amount okay. of coffee yeah it's gonna yeah. do that I, all I, it's gonna make is a wet bed jeff yeah i think uh, i think i'll skip on the sleep deprivation thank you i'll skip on the wet coffee bed well uh, <laughs> don't. <laughs> not if you're trump <laughs> nostrovia Oh,